Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Welcome to the done-in-one-idiot episode of Wait, What? We don't mean to come off as wishy-washy, but we felt there were a lot of good points made as to why we should stick to wonders when it comes to the podcast, so at least for a while, that's what we're going to stick to. But feel free to leave comments at savagecritic.com or waitwhatpodcast@gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. Um, so yes, a two-hour and 20-minute done-in-one with Graham McMillan and I spending the first 40 minutes or so kicking the can about the reception to the John Carter movie, the lack of interesting WonderCon news, shelling pistachios, costume design, and conspiracy theories about bad movies. Then, realizing we are not going to be breaking the episode in twain, we really kick into gear with discussions about the Wasteland Omnibus, reading The Flash and writing for the trades, Justice League number 7 and the Shazam backup, Secret Avengers, The Children's Crusade, Avengers X Sanction number 4, Wolverine 303, Dominique Laveau, Voodoo Queen number 1, Wonder Woman number 7, Astonishing X-Men and Wolverine and the X-Men, and as always, a heck of a lot more. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hi there, Dancing Jeff Lester. How's life in San Francisco land? Oh, God, Graham. No, actually, it's fine. Thank you for asking. And yourself? Um... It was snowing this morning. Oh my god. It's it's like almost April and last night it started snowing and Kate and I look out the, the window and we're like, it's snowing. Huh. Well, at least it won't be there this morning. And then we get up and it's like Christmas. <laughs> we're like, what, what the fuck? What is going on here? <laughs> that is hilarious. Hold on a second. I'm going to adjust my... Now, let me ask you, before we get this started, I don't hear any sort of residual echoey type stuff. Do you have your headset on? Are you... Are you, are you... I have my headset on. I've always had my headset on. Uh, I don't... I don't hear any echo either so i don't know what's going on well it's uh it's one of those things where if uh, it happens again and it probably will we'll have to i'll have to take a go at like uh, adjusting my uh, microphone like maybe my microphone level is too high and it's- i always assumed that you weren't wearing a headset because i could hear echo of myself i could hear myself talking then it like i'd talk and then i'd hear it like a microsecond later you would yeah oh well but that's not happening now, or it is? Nope. All right. Well, let's go with this, then. Next time that's happening, let me know, and I can, I don't know, panic. I don't I don't know if I know how to do anything. Um, it's great. <laughs> isn't it great? Especially when you don't know how to do anything. Um, yeah, and I saw that. I don't know. I'm just, I'm very much like, I would like to have good sound quality, you know, even though, even though I don't really want to work particularly hard at it. So. <laughs> I want to have good sound quality to make up for the low quality of the rest of the show. <laughs> exactly. To make up for the fact that I'm almost always on heroin. So, um, speaking of which, not heroin. But... <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of the heroin, speaking where, of where heroin, are you going with this, Jeff? I don't, I, I, I was hoping that perhaps it would be a fine way to, uh, introduce, um, Senior comics news analyst Graham McMillan with an update of this week's comic news. Graham, <laughs> the best for us. I got as far as heroin. And I was like, he's going to talk about Captain Marvel being Carol Danvers. He said he's got it, and then you, you, you completely you 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 didn't land the ending. It, it, I sure I sure didn't. No, I didn't. Yes, that would be what a good pun. I have to say though, I as much as I love Jamie McKelvey, I do not like that redesign. 
I, I don't mind it. I mean, if you think about what Carol Danvers has worn in the past, it's not any worse. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing that's the, okay. Here's 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 my relatively complicated take on this, and perhaps a a a fine incentive for our first fight of the show. I think that although I love the short hair, I love the fact that she's actually wearing something that's a full actually uniform. An outfit, yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and 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 isn't just I don't know, you know, a, a sash and a bathrobe or whatever her most recent round of things were. I just it just does not it just looks like an ugly design she looks like a nascar driver which no offense to nascar drivers but uh i i are you are you chained to something in the background am i mishearing what that is uh what i'm actually doing is shelling pistachios jeff lester (laughs) i honestly wish that was a joke but it's not i'm shelling pistachios as we talk okay that's great (laughs) Should we ask for more? I no, you really should No, okay. That, I think that's fair. That's fair to everyone. Perhaps we can talk about it later. Let's just keep it as one of those mysterious things. Yeah, you are good. You're going to hear uh, me shelling pistachios in the background of this episode. I, I've not got that many, so you'll be okay. Oh, okay. All right. Fabulous. So here's my thing. Like, I miss the days where they had John Romita designing outfits. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't... No, I'm but wait. Think I, if there's, isn't all you're really yes. saying, though... I miss John Romita's designs because what's what's different about John Romita doing the design than Jimmy McKelvey doing the design? Apart from yeah, the well, quality of the design, it. right? I, I guess that's it. I guess I guess as much as I mean, I can see where Romita stuff is outdated, but I really kind of I don't know. Is there is there been any new characters really that that have had any sort of that have actually looked good? You know, like no, I, think I think about McKelvey's it. about as close as it can get. That's what I was going to say. Like. You might not like the new Captain Marvel outfit, but isn't it better than almost every Jim Lee redesign of the DC universe? Man, that's such a lowered bar. I mean, because I don't really think they're the Jim... I mean, those designs weren't really redesigns, you know? I mean, they were sort of in the ugliest, no, but, most but that's just sense, it. Like, but... the way that he redesigned them in every respect was worse. Well, there's there's yeah. not what, what outfit has actually come out of Jim Lee's redesigns looking better. I don't I don't know. I mean, I kind of like Robo Batman, but I mean, he was kind of going in that direction anyway, so, you know, I I'm I'm kind of down with it sort of, you know, cuz again, Robo Batman is just is just um redesigned Frank Miller Batman, really, you know. Um I and so I don't really have much of a problem with it. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of it. Is like I feel like on the one hand, DC has Jim Lee and other people like the uh, Coley Hamner, right, was doing yeah. some of the redesigns. Yeah, and I, I, I love actually Hamner's. Didn't he do the original design for the the new Blue Beetle, the Jamie Reyes Blue yes. Beetle? Yes, which is a great design. It's, like it that is, a great is design, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I, I, it, I like, put it this way: the only way I understand your argument is. This particular design is not to your aesthetic, because in terms of like the mechanics of it, they got mm. an artist to design the outfit who isn't the artist who's drawing the book. So it's not any different from when John Romita was doing it. It's just the aesthetic is different, right? Well, yeah, yeah, 
I guess that's it. I mean, I sort of like his, I love McKelvey's art. I really, really honestly do. I don't necessarily think that he's what I would think of as a superhero designer. And I feel like that design really shows. Like, and I think they were deliberately trying for something that would be a little less, you know. But I, I, are there any other characters in, in the Marvel Universe? I, aren't there, like, they're still introducing new ones every once in a while, and aren't they all just kind of like dogs? I mean, at least the DC-52 stuff, I mean, unless I'm missing something, there's not a lot of new designs there. There's just redesigns of existing stuff. I, it, was there something that was really radically different, I guess? Um, Superman. I mean, yeah, no, Superman isn't radically different, but it also no, is. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's actually a redesign, but it's a fairly bold redesign. Yeah, it's a bold redesign. Uh, and, and in some ways, kind of a... Yeah, it's it's starchier and more annoying, but it's not... But is is Jimmy McKelvey's Captain Marvel really that much of a redesign, of an original design, when consider both the original Ms. Marvel and the original... Well, not the original, the second Captain Marvel outfit. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I see where it takes the influence into it, but I would say that's a much bolder redesign of, of that Captain Marvel slash Miss Marvel aesthetic than, than the Superman design is. Okay. It's just the Superman design's more iconic, wouldn't you, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say? So, I mean, yeah, once it, you get something that is. iconic, yeah, once you throw any sort of difference in it, it suddenly seems like, wow, that's really... And I think as we were talking about, like... Uh, in our Q&A from a couple of weeks back, I don't think that it may not have necessarily gone far enough, you know, um, considering the the photos we're seeing of the, the Henry Cavill Superman, which, uh, you know, is still looking mighty unconvincing to me anyway. <laughs> you know, let's, let's put it that Everything about way. that film is going to be unconvincing. It's going to be the flop of next year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, mark your calendars now, everyone. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. I think I think it could actually tank pretty significantly. I, I would be really surprised if it doesn't. That's well, honestly after like when everyone was going insane about John Carter, I was just mm-hmm. I really was just like, hey, that's that's Superman next year, everyone. <laughs> Mark right. your calendars. See, and here's the thing where I'm perhaps mistaken is I don't really even quite see. I, I don't see I don't see John Carter as big of a dog as it's being painted, really. You know, it, it's because it's losing. It's going to, or it's been projected to lose so much money, right? But right. Well, that is the they problem. spent so yeah. much making it. It would have to make so much money. Yeah. See, you know, exactly. So like someone worked out, yeah. have to make something like seven hundred million dollars. Oh God, really? That to, much to Jesus. break even. Why they spent that much on the marketing of they it? Spe- or no, they spent two hundred and fifty million making it. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's apparently they spent another one hundred million marketing it. Right. 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 Which yeah. Okay. So that's just right. That's kind of crazy. I don't know, man. It's it's another one where it's like I'm kind of curious to see it. I kind of still have kicking myself for for not taking advantage of the little, the wee bit of extra time I had in this last week and, and dashing. But it's it's still it. playing, isn't it? It's not gone yet. Yeah, I think I think so. Although you know, when it when a movie tanks that long, like you know, like something could like the it'll be one of those situations. Games could just knock out of the theaters this week. Exactly. Exactly. Then, yeah. 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 It's like Hunger Games is just it's going to do like twenty quadrillion. It's such an interesting comparison, Hunger Games to John Carter, isn't it? I mean, it'll. I I suspect unless Hunger Games does not 
do what is expected of it and and underperforms frankly even consider it can still underperform a little bit and you know more than handily beat john carter yeah because john carter at this point is being expected to make disney lose 200 million dollars and and this is the part that i think is the biggest thing single-handedly drag disney into the red for the quarter yeah, you know, did I tell you my conspiracy theory about this? Probably not, because I just it just jumped to me. It, it I think it just came to me two days ago. And on and let me just say, it is not a conspiracy theory to which I subscribe. Okay, I just have to tell you, I've read so many conspiracy theories about John Carter on the web this week, and it has pissed me off so much. Oh, really? <laughs> so- okay, then this one can't even be original then, which is the idea that Disney sabotaged it to keep the Pixar filmmakers away from doing live action. That's that's essentially the variation of a variation of what oh, okay. I'm All right. I'm yeah, just yeah. like I'm I'm so I'm just I've run out of patience with people who are trying to say that John Carter is not a flop and that Disney have tried to kill their own movie. Mm-hmm. I really have because ultimately that's just childish. <laughs> like <laughs> you could argue that it's a good film. That's fine. That's great. Right. But saying that it's not a flop when it's going to lose two hundred million dollars for the company. And saying that Disney did not want this film to be a success because of some ulterior motive is insane. Yes, I agree. Of course they wanted the film to be a success. Yes, of course. Yeah, no, no, no. It is that kind of thing of like if you decide that you actually really want to take that hit, you don't – although again, you know, someone could be like, well, but, you know, if this puts Andrew Stanton back in the Pixar world – you know, as opposed to branching out, like, uh, maybe, I, you know. From everything I'm seeing, I'd be really spread if Andrew Stanton goes back to Pixar just because of how he is, quote-unquote, being treated by Disney for this in general. If I, were, if I were him, I wouldn't. Well, we will see. I mean, I think his thing is, is kind of the way that he paints it and the way everyone paints it is sort of like, he's like, Pixar is the only safe place to go, you know? Like, he's going to claim that, that Disney's fiddling fucked him on John Carter and that the politics fucked him on John Carter. Because he said, like, w- right at the John Carter opening, he's like, yeah, Steve Jobs protected the shit out of Pixar, and I never really knew how much until I stepped out and did my own Hollywood movie. Yeah, but, So it seems to but also me... But Steve Jobs that, isn't around yes. anymore, is the other thing. Well, no, Jobs isn't around anymore, but you've got John Lasseter. Like, I, Pixar is, is still a safe haven, I think. Yeah, but isn't John Lasseter like the CCO of Disney now? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. He, 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 was he, C- he could protect uh, Stanton as much for John Carter as he could for, in Pixar now. No, I think I, – although I could be wrong. I would think that actually he's got way more way more protective powers for Pixar than he did for Disney in general. And admittedly, this is a huge black eye for Lasseter, I'm sure, as well because he argued that Stanton should have the chance to to make this project and make it the way that he wanted. you know. And then – so anyway, I just I, – I find it – I, I usually think that when conspiracy theories jump up all over the place, it's because there's usually something else going on that's not being acknowledged. And what I think it, that is, is that I feel that there's been a lot of um, sort of under sub rosa spin control going on by Disney and especially Disney marketing people. Oh, God, yeah, that vulture piece was amazing. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Where they were essentially like, it wasn't us. Yeah, it wasn't us. We're allowing you unfettered access to every way that Stanton, like, you know, fucked us. It really was amazing. It was like, we're letting you see everything behind the scenes as long as it makes us look good. 
<laughs> exactly. We were exactly. getting un, you know, unrestricted access to how great we were. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And how horribly this went wrong without us and how important and necessary we are. Because, you know, we like you so much we want to, you know, give give you full access. Yeah, so I think that it's really easy for conspiracy nuts to sort of jump up and start waving fingers. Because yeah, I just, uh, I don't know, I've just, I, I think I really lost patience with them today, seeing them say things like, you know, the Hunger Games is coming out tomorrow, I'm so excited, I'm going to see John Carter again. And it's like, shut up! Let the people who want to see the Hunger Games go and see the Hunger Games, don't piss on their parade because your film didn't do well. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think anyone who badmouths the Hunger Games is in is in a pretty bad situation. That being said, I'm not sure I necessarily care to see the movie, but um, but but I do find it fascinating. I can see it doing huge business, and it does seem to me that there is a little bit of an oversight, as there was with Twilight, in terms of people not paying attention to what the quote unquote youth of today are interested in. You know, I, I'm really um, curious to see how the Hunger Games goes, just because the projections are insane. They're really kind of uh, it's, so, it seems to me got, like, almost it's unrealistic. Calm right? down! Yeah, but the studio saying, "Calm down! This this is crazy." Yeah, but the projections yeah, are yeah. just like you know, biggest March opening ever. Yeah, exactly. That, w- I, even the biggest March opening. I'm just I'm trying to remember the last time you had a non sequel movie open at. What they're projecting is a hundred million dollars. Uh, it was um, if they revised it downward. No, or no, no. Now that now they're saying that it might open at one hundred thirty-eight thousand. Uh, one hundred thirty-eight million. Thirty-eight million. Yeah. Jesus God. Uh, I mean, that's enormous. And what Lionsgate are saying is, we'll be happy if we beat the March total. The March total, previous March total, is Alice in Wonderland, the Tim Burton, mm-hmm. which was like one hundred sixteen. Really? Yeah. That thing opened at 116 million. That, that was yeah, that was a hit, Jeff. Jesus Christ. No, what the fuck were people doing in March? Oh my god. They were, Have you seen that movie? Have yeah. you seen that Alice in Wonderland yeah. movie? How is it? It's um it's it exists. <laughs> wow. Um it's fine. It's it's nothing special. It's very much like did you ever watch the sci-fi channel movies where they're like, sci-fi, it's Alice. It's like that with a better budget. Wow. Huh. That's, uh, that's an interesting review. I, ooh, man. I, I did you see that? with faint praise. Dude, I, I actually think that you're like being or, far too just, diplomatic just about right, it. Really. It looks, it's not yeah. a bad film. It's one of those films that like you're there and you're like, this is completely professional and I am not hating it. And then you come away and you're like, that was actually worse than I thought it was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. We used to call those bad movies. <laughs> yeah, but then you, see, then you see genuinely bad movies and you're like, oh, right. no, this is a movie I hate myself for going to see. Right. Yeah, but those, I don't know. Yeah, it's true. In any event, uh, I didn't realize that that was that huge. In that case, right, why shouldn't they expect the Hunger Games to make $138 million? You actually got that much money out of bullshit like Alice in Wonderland. Wow. And I mean competent bullshit. Yeah, but bear in mind, Alice in Wonderland also was opening in IMAX in 3D. No, I, I understand. So, Back so they were that was kind of like for, a thing. Tickets, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know. Um, Yeah, I'm fascinated by the idea that John Carter is like, I I do believe that there are these items that probably do have an expiration date on them. Although I I am fascinated by people like Abe or uh, Ken Lowry who were kind of like, the movie wasn't especially good and the people were by and large kind of unlikable. 
So it, it's kind of like, don't you think that could have something to do with it? Well, that's just it. I, I mean, I, I, it. I, yeah. I, what I keep, for some reason, I've been completely obsessed with the John Carter Follett. Really, genuinely, like it's fascinating me because because of the people defending the film. Mm-hmm. Because what you have is people who come out and say, "How dare you say this film is a flop? It's made these numbers." Mm-hmm. And then, but they're not, they never address like the quality of the film. And then when they do, they're like, "It's not that bad." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, there's very few people right. are coming out and saying this is a great film. Right. Well, there's like, a few. Like, I saw the the um, I9 post. Did you see the I9 mm-hmm. post, which was like, I want to stab someone because the Lorax has made more money than uh, John Carter. Mm, I didn't see that post. And the post funny. is the post actually goes, sure, John Carter's problems. The first hour is unwatchable. And I was like, that's terrible. Then, <laughs> if the first hour of your film is unwatchable, then it, you know. I don't care that the Lorax is making more money. It still doesn't deserve to be a hit. Well, but some people were saying the last hour of the Lorax was unwatchable. So maybe it's just a preferential thing as to which hour. I don't know. I, <laughs> I've heard bad things about the Lorax, like seriously oh, bad. I believe the Lorax things. is terrible. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, I, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like the weirdest argument to say, I am so mad that this shitty film is a success and my shitty film is not. Right. Right, exactly, exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's well, like, it's also, accept uh, that your film isn't a success and move on? <laughs> the, other, the other thing that's funny about this is I honestly have spent the entire week going, was I this bad about Scott Pilgrim? We're, uh, we're, no, and that's, I think maybe that's part of the reason why you're being a little uh, annoyed and uh, frustrated because I think for the most part, the Scott Pilgrim people, the people who like watched it and thought that it was a fantastic movie and it opened and tanked, kind of went, well, you know, it'll have its day someday. Hopefully. Yeah. What can you, know? you do? <laughs> what can you do? Exactly. But when people, John Carter, are jumping up and like, you know, kicking over like plants and things like that, then you're just like, dude, behave for Christ. You know, because I do. I do have that feeling of like, you know, we saw Scott Pilgrim tank and that was a very, very good movie, you know. Like, pretty much widely considered, you know, critically and everything, to be considered a good film, you know? There are some people who have said they didn't necessarily go with it, I understand, but it wasn't... Even with its flaws, it still wasn't a bad film. Well, you know, although I can... eh, Yeah, no, I would say it's still not a bad film. Because I don't know who I was listening to, but someone was saying that they felt that the movie... The movie, the stru- the structure of Scott Pilgrim, the film was actually kind of static, and I, I think I can kind of see that, but but not in a way that kind of killed the movie for me. Mm-hmm. You know, some people were like, "Yeah, the fight through all the exes, even though each fight was a little bit different, it was still kind of tedious." And I'm like, "Really? See, I'm like, I don't really see that. I, but I." I didn't experience it that way, but I can sort of see why they would think mm-hmm. that way. It's funny because I've watched. I I can th- say that Scott Pilgrim is my most watched movie in mm-hmm. years, if not decades. Mm. Like the number of times I've seen Scott Pilgrim versus the number of times I've seen any other film released in the last decade. Wow, is, really? It's just ridiculous. Um, I would love to see it again. And at this point, I can actually totally see why people are saying it's formulaic. Because I've seen it so many times that I'm really ridiculously aware of the structure. Right. And it does just go fight, you know, interstitial, fight, interstitial, fight. Right. Um, mm-hmm. With uh, – the books really had – the books really meandered to their benefit. Mm-hmm. 
It looks oh, at all these to their tremendous and, and everything mm-hmm. that the movie just doesn't have. The scenes mm-hmm. in between the fights are there to be the scenes in between the fights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can to- I can totally see that. But I don't know. I just think it's Scott Pilgrim for me is still like such a love letter to cinema mm-hmm. that I'm just like, how can you not enjoy this film? Yeah, there is absolutely. so much here to enjoy. Well, that, I guess that's it. To me, it's kind of it's so it's still so far away from being bad. Yeah. Like I can see where the formulaic of the structure knocks it down to a good or okay film. Like if we're going to start using savage critic nomenclature, I can even see where someone is totally eh about it. But I cannot see where anyone would actually give it, you know, a crap or awful rating. You know, I just I just don't think that there's. It just doesn't seem like it's at that level. Mm-hmm. Like even even if you know you, unless you absolutely one hundred percent inhumanly loathe Michael Sarah, I suppose. I, I, but I suppose but I even then, that was me before I saw that film. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I hated Michael Sarah. Mm. And then I was sold nonetheless. I don't know. I just, <laughs> but honestly, I see all the 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 John Carter stuff, and I'm like. Really? Is this what it's like to be a really bad sport because something you like wasn't a success? I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> I see I'm 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 like, dude, I'm I'm here in San Francisco where there are actual sports teams. So, my definition of being a bad sport usually involves like riots, starting <laughs> yeah, riots, <laughs> killing people in parking lots, you know, calling, you know, New Orleans Saints uh, fans like stupid whores, you know, like really bad sports. That's just Saturday, like, isn't it? What's that? Isn't that just Saturday? That is. I'm not sure what you're saying. <laughs> that... It's the pistachios, Jeff. They're they're interfering with our signal. Are they okay? I, I, I. That's fair enough. No, do you mean like that? Is that's just an average Saturday that's just, for yes, a sports that's fan? That's just tr- traditional okay. Saturday. Yes, that is true. That's like not even during sports season. Hey, oh, um, yeah. No, I don't know. I, I all I can say is is that I I totally understand why there might be some sort of angry generational thing. You know. Like not not quite sci-fi boomer fans. I don't know if it splits along age lines, but I can see a lot of people like me who are forty-five being very like, "No, it's Andrew Stanton and Michael Chabon, and it's fucking John Carter. Fuck all of you. No, you know, <laughs> because I think I think my generation has been in this very uncomfortable pole position for such a long time. It kind of reminds me of how fucked up a lot of my baby boomer friends were when Obama won the election. They were like, that guy doesn't know how to govern, you know? Seriously? I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Because this is the thing. Of course, being here in San Francisco, the majority of the people that I knew are Democrats. Um, But what what I found, and my family, and I myself am a huge pinko. I don't think this is any news for anyone who's listened to the podcast with any regularity. But what I found with... um, my mom and older relatives who were all who are all very left leaning were so much more behind Hillary Clinton and it wasn't just 
gender. It wasn't just along gender lines. What but was I it an age more. thing? Was it he's younger than us, therefore he can't be a good president? Yeah, I think that's it. Like, they didn't want to put it like that. And who knows? I mean, admittedly, you know, the great thing about some of the baby boomers is they're not entirely upfront about some of the racism, too, because a lot of the people I know are pretty darn white. But, uh... But I, the the more you sort of poked along, there was a real sense, a real aggravated sense of like, well, no, he just doesn't know, and he's too young for the job. He just doesn't have enough experience. That was as it came back over and over and over and over and over again. Well, it's, it's, has the it's the whole, you know, aren't the policemen looking younger these days thing. I, th- mm-hmm. I genuinely think there's this idea of very aware, or at least I am very aware. And, people I know are very aware when people are younger than them. But if you don't mm-hmm. think of yourself as old, right. that suddenly everyone seems too young. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think I see that. I, and I guess that's it. I don't I'm – st- I'm probably moving into that phase now, and I've had such a smooth ride. You know what I mean? Because – the generation or generations behind mine have had the same obsessions and thanks to the internet there's so much free exchange of ideas and thoughts and things Mm -hmm. so you know when i talk to someone who is two decades younger than me but has probably read more marvel 70 comics as much marvel 70s comic books as i have you know or and hello has, to ian brill <laughs> yes like, exactly <laughs> <laughs> ding 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 but there's but i mean there are there are of course others uh, but yeah no but um you know or to be at work and have people you know, in their 20s, be talking about, like, wanting to read more Frank Miller, you know, um, or just or just liking Batman just does not seem like, how do I, like, Batman, who always was sort of the easiest superhero to sort of cross borders, mm-hmm. you know, it is, it's not even considered even nerdy or anything like that, you know, and then you get into all the other stuff with anime and manga and it, blah, blah, blah. In other words, the majority of my weirdo obsessions for my geek culture has pretty much charted very nicely and very easily over to being the dominant force of yeah, yeah, geek you, culture, yeah. if not culture in general, right? Yes, yeah. You know, and so there's kind of that amazing... I mean, I'm I'm still kind of awestruck by it. It's kind of it's really disquieting for a number of reasons, um, but I can see where people now that it's now that it looks like that guard might be shifting. Like now, you know, when our tastes aren't 100 percent like able to imprint on the mainstream media. Yeah, maybe we're being a little scared and pissy about the whole thing. It's like, oh, you guys. I mean, come on. It's John Carter. He's it's Michael Chabon. It's it's Andrew Stanton. Everybody liked Wally. Remember Wally? Did, remember? did you have a relationship with John Carter before the movie? Yeah, yeah, I did actually. I, I read. This is the thing that was kind of funny. Is I read all what would have been ten of the of the Edgar Rice Burroughs of Mars books, um, and I have to say I've read them all pretty much in a summer and remember barely any of them, but. I rem- I read those and then I moved on. I think I had the majority of the um the Marvel's John Carter comic too. 
because it was like, yeah. It's, and, and you know, it's interesting. A lot of my love for John Carter, I, I somehow never quite added it up. I was fond of him in a way that kind of never struck me as square on. And I realize now that, that because I was such a fan of Alex Raymond's Flash Gordon like I kind of it's kind of that weird thing where you're like you don't even realize that that, that guy is actually that guy's dad, you know, yeah. kind of thing. It's yeah. like it's like, oh yeah, you know. So somehow Flash Gordon hit my sweet spot. John Carter was there but kind of off to the side. Like I kind of always had this thing of like they're never I always felt like they weren't quite doing him right, even though now that I look back on it and it's been at least 33 years since I read the books, I literally have no idea what the fuck happened in them. It, like, it's weird because you know all the John Carter. Even before the movie came out, you had a lot of people saying, "Well, they're selling it wrong." Mm-hmm. You know, John Carter is inherently interesting because, and I had mm-hmm. never read any John Carter, Carter at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My first actual reading of a John Carter story was the Dynamite comics, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're actually good. I I like them. I think mm-hmm. their covers are just horrifically embarrassing, but. <laughs> You know, I think the, I think the actual books themselves are surprisingly good. Uh, and then I was like, I'm going to read the old Marvel comics because it's Chris Claremont and it's Dave Cockrum, and you know Frank Miller does a couple of issues. And you know, man, this, I wish Cockrum had been on it all the way throughout. That would have been awesome. But I was like, you know, th- I like these guys, mm-hmm. and it's space opera and it's Marvel in the 70s. I'm totally going to take this book, and I swear yeah. to God, I found it unreadable. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I totally believe it. You know, because it's so it's already insular. Like there's already a fanboy culture about John Carter, and that comic is made by John Carter fanboys. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't even get into the first issue because the first issue was quite clearly done by people who were like, "I can't believe I'm doing John Carter." It was like trying to get into the Avengers by reading mm-hmm. like a random Brian Bendis issue. Right. Right. Well, I, it's interesting. That's funny. I would not have actually thought that that would have been the problem. Because I do think that, and I and I could be wrong, but my personal belief is John Carter, the guy, the only proper adaptation of the John Carter books, God bless, and, and I should mention here now that if everyone hasn't read uh, John Kane's two-part look at essentially every comic book version of John Carter that exists. Oh my God, it's, a, it's great. Yeah, fantastic reading, just incredibly well-written and just incredibly informative. Um, and yet, uh, my utterly ignorant take on it is is that the guy who is was drawing it all, where everyone's like buck naked and like all but hitting themselves in their heads with their enormous boobs and penises, is probably closer to the actual spirit of the books. Now, I've read a lot of interviews, especially with Michael Chabon, that probably would prove me wrong. But I think that the secret element X that made John Carter work for at the time that made it the biggest hit that it, as it was was the fact that I mean Bros did it didn't even matter about all the world building it was all the breathless romance it was all the idea of um, unfettered sexuality as being written by someone who could not mention sexuality in any way you yeah know but it's I mean? like it was so present in the subtext <laughs> Yes, exactly. It's so present in the subtext, and yet now there's this weird way where I feel like it renders it almost incapable of somehow recapturing that. Because you either try to recapture that and it feels sort of coy or arch or campy, or you go literal and it somehow loses 
the the pun intended thrust of the, of the whole thing. Well, yeah, I, and that's why that's why both the Dynamite comics and Dynamite covers, and more importantly, the lawsuit against Dynamite is fascinating mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because the covers to the Dynamite books are just appalling. They're shameless. Yes. Like here is what's her name, Deja Thoris. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where did out? Hey, I like they call them risky covers, but it's like right. really seriously, what the fuck? Inside the books, mm-hmm. she is. Don't get me wrong; she's still drawn half naked, mm-hmm. but I would say she's somehow portrayed in a far less sexualized way, mm-hmm. and that makes all the difference. Right. But then you get to the the lawsuit against them, the Rice Burroughs estate lawsuit against them, where they're like, these comics are pornographic. Right. And that is hurting our, our intellectual property. Yeah. And that seems kind of crazy when you think about the books. Oh, utterly crazy. <laughs> Do you know I mean, it's it, like, have you read the source books? I mean, not just crazy, but of course, crazily disingenuous. Like, it is absolutely 100% not being fully, what's the word? Um... Honest? Yeah, yeah. I mean, honest, but uh, I'm trying to figure out for whatever reason there, there's like some some weird version of disclosure that I'm shooting for, and I don't know why they're not being fully disclosive. So that's why I wasn't going to go to the end of that sentence anytime soon. Um, yeah, they just they really it's it's an absurd suit, but I also suspect that that it becomes. John Carter, I think, may well be a lose-lose situation for the same reason that I'm almost half convinced Superman may end up being in really just about any media except maybe a cartoon for very young kids. You know, I can see that. I think that something, for example, like um, Buck Rogers of Flash Garden now is completely mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It does not make any sort of sense whatsoever. Um, and who knows? Maybe, maybe people, maybe someone further down the line, you know, is going to some version of of Stephen Moffat or David Tennant is going to be like, oh, I'll show you, uh, and reinvent that. But I don't. I really don't think so. I really don't think so. I think you um, can do it, but you have to do it as a nostalgia piece. Well, which I is, almost yeah. Sorry, on you go. No, no. Which you should go go with that. But don't you think that's what they were sort of trying to do with this piece with with the movie? I'm shocked that they tried to keep it faithful to its setting and all that. Yeah, but I uh, I don't think that's what I mean by nostalgia piece. Um, what do I mean? I mean like a little more of the like literally wide-eyed camp or something. Yes, I guess, but mm-hmm. not necessarily camp. But wide-eyed wonder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? No, it's look at our fantastic CGI. <laughs> I don't know. I just there's something about, the, about John Carter that just seems too slick, hmm. and seems too shiny, and seems too clean, and seems too modern. Hmm. It feels very much like like a film that's been made in 2012. In a way, interestingly enough, something like Tintin didn't. Tintin, which was, you know, CGI and could only have been made now, Uh felt to me like something that if you took away the animation, if you just did it live action, could have been made at any point in the last, you know, 30, 40 years. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, apart from the fact of you're muddying the waters by comparing the apple you saw to the orange, we neither. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know know what you're saying. I mean, wouldn't you say that that was exactly the impression that Tintin wafted off of its body until you actually saw the movie? No. Really? Yeah. See, I think that the pre- every trailer, every preview, every everything that I saw about Tintin, because it wasn't done, because it was done with the uh, you know CGI puppets, was totally like, um, totally felt that way to me. It it, it, it no, there's, there's something about the trailers for Tintin that seemed really old-fashioned. In the way that there's something for everything I've seen from John Carter, which doesn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. See, I I would actually say think that that's. I'm not sure I'm inclined to agree. I'm not sure I'm inclined to agree, but you know, but not in any way that I think that I can I can take you take take you to task because I'm I I think if you honestly feel that way then I'm like okay then you, <laughs> that's the problem you can't be like you're wrong. Yeah, I can't. I'm just like, no, Graham, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, this is the type of thing where it's like, callers, call us now at, yeah, no, I have no, I, you know, if you say so, that was not the impression I got from seeing that Tintin trailer. It really wasn't, Um, you know, because I really couldn't see behind everybody's like CGI smoothened faces, which seems to me very much of our time. But I still highly recommend that film to you, by the way. I would love to see it. it if only because I anywhere. think you really get past the CGI smishy faces really quickly, or at least if you're me, you do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, astonishingly quickly. Yeah. And then you're like, huh, <laughs> I did not expect to not be freaked out by this film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, um, okay, so here's the thing. We've spoken for 40 minutes now. Yeah, I know. We haven't actually mentioned comics once. Oh, we have. No. Dynamite well, comics, yeah, well, we started off talking about Ms. Marvel and design stuff. Uh, and somehow, God, how did we get from that to... I honestly can't remember. <laughs> man, this is so bad. This is, It's like the least surprising thing for all of us, I know, but still, nonetheless. Uh, well, should, should... Hey, is there, were there any other WonderCon announcements that you want to address? Gosh. Um, what were they? I'm sure there. I'm sure there were. I don't. I don't. I don't, uh, I don't think I, I really. DC didn't really have any announcements unless I'm entirely forgetting something. Um, yeah. Marvel announced that they are going to reuse the names Avengers and X Men if it's ends of the earth by changing Thunderbolts to Dark Avengers and uh, resurrecting Exiles as Extreme X Men. Um, which is I don't know. I just I kind of love that. I I am right. simultaneously appalled. And, and kind of love it. Uh, I kind of love it in large part because I genuinely think Thunderbolts is going to get a sales bump from it. Yeah. And as someone who really likes Thunderbolts, that's great news. <laughs> right. And the fact that they're doing it without renumbering the book and without changing the creative team mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. feels like a win-win because ultimately I don't care if they call the book, you know, this is Brian Michael Benz's Avengers. No, seriously, it is. He's just on vacation right now. As long as the, the book's the same. So, win-win. Um, as a practice, though, I think it's kind of terrifying. I just... There's something weirdly depressing about it. It's like Marvel kind of are going, yep, let's just add another Avengers and X-Men book thing because it's going to have more success that way than it is if we give it its own name. And there's just something sad about that. 
entirely Something's, practical, but sad. Yes, right. I mean, I guess that's the thing. If if Marvel hadn't been so open in the fact that they were going to focus on their main franchises before this, I think it would strike me as more sad. The fact that they are essentially coming up with ways very low-key ways to hook books and new books into their biggest-selling franchises is, um, I guess, kind of a source of comfort. You know what I mean? Like, I do appreciate the fact that they're like, hey, you know what? Jeff Parker is doing good work, and we want to give his... We want to give that work another shot. And that, of course, actually makes me quite happy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But, but yeah, I don't think that that... There was that. There was probably all the all the whole infinite comics crap that came out of there. There's the fact that Kelly Dutsu is is writing Ms. Marvel. Uh, Captain uh, Marvel. <laughs> Captain Marvel. The entire Marvel. point is it's not Ms. Marvel. <laughs> Dude, the entire point is I'm obviously not paying much attention to news and specifically not Marvel, so I'm I'm feeling okay with screwing that up. Um, but yes, good point. Uh, um, let's see. What other news was there? Uh, IDW has Judge Dread, uh-huh. um, which I kind of I'm like I'll believe it when I see it, considering Dynamite announced the same thing four years ago and then did nothing with the license. Right. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Right, I see, now, you're bringing back the memories. Yeah, that was kind of interesting, the whole, um, the, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I'm going to have to say that uh, WonderCon, the biggest thing that, that sort of came out of WonderCon was the fact that I was not at WonderCon, and that I will probably, I'll be surprised if I end up at WonderCon, you know? <laughs> because... Even if it comes back to San Francisco? If it comes back to San Francisco, I'd actually love to go. I realize now that I'm sort of like, ah, I was really spoiled by having a big con here in my city. Um, Mm -hmm. And that one was big enough that just going to it was was easy enough. But um, but yeah, I don't... I I, I think the biggest news out of WonderCon this year was the lack of news out of WonderCon. Right, exactly. Well, and nobody's... Nobody really seemed to raise a stink out of that. Like, I'll go you one better. The biggest story to come out of WonderCon was the fact that nobody was talking about the fact that there was no big stories coming out of WonderCon. But nobody was really talking about WonderCon. Well, but like it didn't really happen. <laughs> but but that's my thing. Is is like didn't last year when nothing came out of it? Wasn't there a lot of news about why there was no no news coming out of WonderCon? I, yeah, but I don't think anyone expected news this year. Oh, I see. Because Marvel are in the in the middle of Avengers versus X Men, right? DC aren't. It's unlikely DC are going to announce anything big because they're still not a year into the new Fifty Two. What are mm-hmm. they going to announce? Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I think we're in this weird lull where you're going to get announcements like Extreme X Men or, or Captain Marvel, but they're going to be they're going to be fake big announcements. If that makes sense, like it's going to be mm-hmm. the announcements that normally at a con. It'd be the and also, um, but it's it to get played up because they're the only things that are happening. Mm-hmm. I, I think comics news in terms of like you know publishers announcing things uh, is kind of having to take a break right now because right. big publishers are in the middle of something. Well, except except DC. I mean, DC isn't 
anything. It's been six or seven months since, right? So I mean, it's actually sure, but been. They, kind they can't of... do anything massive, and also they've got they've announced before Watchmen, which is their big summer thing. Well, that is true. I guess it's kind of interesting that they didn't wait to do that at WonderCon, right? Yeah, but again, I, I think you've got to look at the fact that Rich was running images from it. Mm-hmm. I think that they really had to. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right, right, right. Exactly. That at that point it was, yeah, it they, was had, like, they had to get something. In. Yeah, it was like, if we don't say anything by the time we are ready to announce it, then everyone is going to know everything about this project. Right. We have to get in front of this news and we have to spin it. We have to get J. Michael Straczynski out there to say, hey guys, it's not really bad thing because I wrote Babylon 5. Everything's fine. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, well, okay, so so the, the, the comics news currently is no news. So I think, I th- okay, here's the other thing. Listeners, I know we promised you that we would do two episodes per week, um, but as far as I can tell, <laughs> then everyone so responds to that idea. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I'm not sure that it's worth dragging it out for another t- couple of weeks. I, I the, the the so far the people who like the one one hours have been enough in the minority. Last time they were very slow to come in. Feel free, definitely, to let us know. But I think what I'm going to do is I just make the command decision. If you're okay with this, Graham, like let's talk comics. Let's go for for the full two hours, because um, yeah, I think this one, this episode, if we put this up, they're like, huh, yeah. After the shelling pistachios, it was kind of downhill. Uh, they came time to talk about comics. And- I'm still shelling those motherfuckers right now, Jeff. Are you? Uh, hey, so I, I, I've got a comic question for you. Yes. What do you do with your comics when you don't want them? Why is that a rhetorical question? Why is that? No, I want to make an answer. <laughs> I think I've told you, Graham. I hoard them. I hoard them miserably, like a wretch. I but, have but like after a while, you have to like not hoard them. Yeah, Graham. You're talking <laughs> about death, death, aren't you? That's what you're talking about, you cruel bastard. I'd like to think I've got another twenty years of hoarding in me. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who are you giving your comics to when you die, Jeff? That's what I'm asking. Yeah, I see where you're going with this. Is this is this your angle for it's like it could be you, but honestly, I've seen how you handle your own comic scram. And well, I, no, it's, I'm asking because earlier on today I gave shitloads of comics to charity, uh, and oh, it's the second great. year in a row that I've done this. There's a homeless charity in town called Pear. Wow, and they'll actually take comic books. Yeah, um, because it's like a, a creative arts thing for homeless kids, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and they were actually suggested by someone in town last year because I was like I have all these comic books I want to give them away where do I give them thinking someone's a hospital and someone's like there's this homeless charity they'd love them Um, and they did and then this year I had the same thing so I gave like seven bags worth of comics to them wow that's extraordinary Um, and it was it's it was great because like they were really happy to get them if that makes sense like I took them in and I'm talking to the woman who runs it and she was very, you know, thank you for donating all this. That's really good. She was also like, are any of these valuable? Do we have to be careful <laughs> of any of these? And I was kind of like, I'm giving you this, these bags of comics. Do you think if there's something valuable, I'd just be like, here. You know, it's probably somewhere in the Trader Joe's bag. Just, just Yes, exactly. For it. Yeah, it's um, got a golden ticket affixed. Yeah, exactly. But the other thing was the kids who were there. And when I say kids, I'm talking like, you know, 16, 17. Mm-hmm. There was a gang of them who seemed really excited that they were getting comics in. Yeah, yeah. Which I just, I did not expect. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're like, wow, what have you got? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, 
wow, you you guys like comics. Here you here you go. Here's lots of bags. Um, but it was just I don't know. I I just because I go through purchase. I go through like annual purchase of comics. Yes, I know. I, I do know, and I'm I'm always envious. In the past, what I did, uh, I went through a period where I actually winnowed down my collection by by holding a garage sale every year. Yeah, I, I remember I remember going to one of your garage sales. Exactly, exactly. And so, honestly, if you'd asked me before what I did with most of my comics, I I would say I had Joe Keating buy them for a quarter apiece because uh, <laughs> Joe would show up and and hit those things with a vengeance. And I mean, he knew I I like to put good stuff in there. And he I know I remember it, some of the awesome stuff that you had in there. Yeah, there was some good stuff. There I really loved doing that. That part I really love doing. But it's been a couple of years and I've probably built up enough stuff now that I might get do something like that again. I don't know. It's kinda of interesting. I because uh, I'm always like I, you know, I'm so used to assuming that San Francisco doesn't really have much of a place for that sort of thing. I was always frustrated because I wanted to be – I would love to give some of my comics volumes away on it to the libraries um, so because San Francisco's comic library selection is kind of – but they – they were very like my my biggest success was giving them manga and everything else. They're like, well, we can't guarantee it. I'm like, well, I've got some manga. And they're like, oh, give us that, you know, because that. Was oh, wait, stuff so that you're the, you know, offering the these work. guys free books and they're saying no. It's not that they're saying no. What it was was they were being very open in saying because if you give books to the library, they don't turn them away. But what happens is more often than not, they end up at the Friends of the Library sales and they use the money from selling the books to raise money for the libraries. You know, and technically, there's nothing wrong with that. Like if I'm going to give them like I don't know a Walt Simonson Thor omnibus, and they they they're like, okay, well the best way we can make money on this is selling you know is like selling it for five dollars at a Friends of the Library sale. You know, I should technically be okay with that. But there's part of me that's like, no, I want it so that people can actually fucking read it. You know what I mean? Like people, not one person who like you know is another hoarder like me. You know, so, <laughs> so I yeah I need to I need to wrap my brain around that a little bit. But uh, it's always it's it's really funny because um, as you know, Graham, the I think the last time I visited you, I rifled through your box of stuff um, of discards. Some of which were, in fact, of course, books I'd gifted you with, although not very many. But there were some other – I was like, oh, my God, look at this. Oh, my God. And I walked home with like – you know, I packed like 12 trade paperbacks in my in my bag. I still to this day have not read one of them. So See, that's that's how you end up with discards. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how I can have all these bo- these comics to give away. And the, the ones I gave away were none of those books. Those books are still in that box exactly really? where you left them. Oh, yeah. my God. Wow. That's fascinating. These um, were just all the comics. These were all the comics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, you get to the point. And, you know, it happens because Kate is like, you have big piles in your office. You have to get rid of them. But right. the reason the piles are there is because I'm always like, I'll give these away one day. And it's literally like I will do nothing about it for a year. <laughs> and they can be like, you have these towering piles that are going to fall over and are a fire hazard. Get them out of the house. Right. Um, but you, you, get, you get comics and you read them and you like them. But you know you're never going to read them again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and that's the discards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know. I just no. it's it's it, it's an interesting. Oh, sorry. It's uh, what I was going to say is there's a weird unintended consequence to our podcast, which is that I have more uh, of these than I used to. Like I slowed down my habit buying a lot. And then around the time of the new 52 and you and I talking new comics more frequently, I'm, I started going to the store every week and I started buying more books. And so now I'm at this situation where I'm like, yeah, I got, I've got several, I've got a couple of long boxes of stuff that I, I should get rid of, you know? And it's also stuff that you're like, I'm not even sure why I bought this in the first place. Oh yeah. There's a lot of that. Yeah, I have I I like the majority of the things. The majority of of the books, I should say this, I would say it's probably like half and half of stuff I've been given and half the stuff I've been I've bought. Right. Um, but the majority of things that I bought, I when I was going through them, I was like, I actually don't even remember why I bought this. <laughs> like well, looking at it now, I can't even remember <laughs> what made me think that this would not be a waste of my money. Mm, yeah, I don't know. That would be kind of interesting. I would be curious about, to, about that for some of the books. I mean, that being said, is uh, is Skybound still having its digital sale on Comicsology? I think it finished yesterday. Oh, did it? Okay, because I'm I'm sure you ignored my tweets, but you know they had that that uh, first trade of Witch Doctor for two dollars and ninety nine cents. I'm pretty sure I didn't even see your tweets. Never mind ignoring them. No, it, it is extended to today. Oh, okay. Well, let me tell you. For $2.99, you can get five issues of Witch Doctor. It's like 140 pages of comics for $2.99. It is a very... I think it is a very, very, very good deal. Um, and, of course, you don't have to get it. You probably will not. I totally understand. But... Boy, well, let me I, tell you. I'd like to point out that I've actually read Witch Doctor based on your recommendations before. Have you? You haven't yes. said anything about it. Did you hate it? No, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I don't <laughs> recall you saying that, damn it. I just I'm like, like when you continually try and sell me things on things I've actually read. And you just sort of sit there going, huh, tell me more. Yeah, exactly. Why would I not like this, Jeff Lester? <laughs> Well, I don't know, man. Sometimes you do those things where you're like, yes, finally on so-and-so's recommendation. I'm like, hey, I was talking about that for three months. You're like, yes, yes, whatever. So anyway, so yes. <clears throat> well, 148 pages, $2.99. And yeah, issues zero through four and bonus materials. It's a great book. And I, I was super, I was like, that's a really good deal. It's like one of the few times that I've been really obnoxiously annoying about about posting stuff on, on um, Twitter. Amusingly, like, I genuinely haven't seen any of your tweets about it, though. Really? That's amazing. Huh, that's funny. I think maybe because I did one on Friday, and I, I know I did one on Saturday, so... so yeah, if you did it over the weekend, I've seen that. Yeah. And I want to say I did one on Monday, but maybe not. So, um, so yeah, anyway, it's that's a hell of a good deal. And then, of course, as you know, I bought that I did. I. This is the thing that. Oh, and the wasteland sale is still going on. I bought that omnibus, which is you know thirty five issues for twenty bucks. And because that do you think? Well, I just finished the first issue um, last night slash this morning, and I have to say, uh, I remember reading the first issue and thinking that it was pretty eh. Like, it was okay, but not really anything that knocked me out. And a lot of it boiled down to what I thought was 
some pretty hasty, not entirely that quite wasn't quite at the, the art wasn't quite at the standards I would have liked it to have been. I thought Anthony Johnson's um, story also seemed kind of um, I don't know, like kind of kind of nothing, kind of nothing new. But interestingly enough, reading it digitally, one of the things that I thought was really funny is because the um, because the artist uses kind of digital foreground tricks. Like, you know that whole weird Photoshop blur thing that everyone uses to show someone flying or something? Mm-hmm. He does that for a couple of times with some levitating rocks. And I was like, holy shit, that looks really dimensional. Like, there was something that weirdly... <laughs> On my plain old iPad one, some of the art where he like, you know, uh, does a, a, a sort of blur filter on stuff in the foreground or stuff that's moving gave it a much greater dimensionality than I remember it having when I read it in print. In print, I was like, this is kind of tedious. That being said, I still feel like the first issue closes with a with a big, you know, the big fight scene that is essentially the destruction of the town, and I kind of thought that that sort of fell apart I'm hoping that the artists uh, the artists talents catch up with the book's ambitions I guess because mm-hmm. that was one where it was like all of a sudden I'm like wait no I don't know who's doing what to whom or where this is happening and it's not you're not doing an especially good job here all of that said it was a that first issue, like looking back, I'm like, you know what? This was actually a pretty good read. I had a lot more fondness for Anthony Johnson's uh, script than I did the first time. The first time, everything thought felt pretty perfunctory, and admittedly, I felt like I was responding to a ton of hype where people were like, "This is goddamn great." Um, now reading it later, I, I I'm looking forward to reading the other issues. I'm especially kind of excited that I've got so many issues to kind of read because he loads so many story bits and pieces into the first issue. Um, I'm kind of, I you know, I it seemed clumsy at that time, like, but now that I've got like another 33 issues already like in the bag, so to speak, part of me is like, I'm kind of looking forward to how this will play out. That's what I was going to say. Like, I had a very different reaction reading it, but I first read it in the hardcover collection of the first 12 issues. Mm. And I'm wondering if the the experience of reading it, knowing you have another 11 chapters to go, is different from the experience of knowing that the story will unfold if you pay for each sequential chapter. Yes. Yeah, I think I think there's something to it. Now, I mean, that, of course, is the definition of comics, I think. And, and frankly, as time has gone on, in some ways, um, uh, what Anthony did with the first issue of Wasteland really is not that different from what Brian Vaughn did, K. Vaughn did with the first issue of uh, Saga. I mean, you know, he takes the extra time and space to make sure that you get a good chunky read with enough stuff happening and an idea of where everything's going to go. Um, I just think the difference is, uh, of course, I you know, I think Saga actually did a better job of it, but interestingly enough, rereading Wasteland the week after I read Saga, I was like, oh, this is, this is a very satisfying first issue. Um, I think, but yeah, there's got to be something to it where if it's the if it really reads like the first chapter of a book because you've got the rest of the chapters right there, I think you can forgive it for a certain amount of um, uh, I don't know uh, uh, unsubtlety. 
I suppose. You know, and that first issue is kind of unsubtle, I think. Well, what's really interesting is, I don't know if you remember, but I said last week that I reread the first six issues of Justice League and enjoyed it much more than I did when I read them as, as individual issues. That is true. And the That's same true. was true of Flash and the same was true of Legion of Superheroes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That you read the first storyline in total mm-hmm. and the things that frustrated you are not as frustrating. I was going to say they're not as present, but that's not true. But they they read differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, especially Flash. Flash benefits from reading it in one sitting so much more than any other book. Interesting. Because honestly, it was one of... It, I mean, not only was it the only one of the three that you're talking about, but it's actually one of the three that I was reading for the sake of being... Like, like, it was just my pretty art book, but I really in, enjoyed it. Like, there's yeah, weird... but I, I think I think when you read it in single issues, mm-hmm. the pacing is just fucked. The pacing is all over the place, and yeah. things seem to jump in and out without explanation or introduction. And True. then when you read it in total, it's much easier to be like, "Oh, Iris is saying this because mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. twenty pages ago she was saying this, as opposed to a month ago." Right. Um, and the same with Justice League. Justice League is very, how can I put this? Very spare in the amount of story that is present in the last two issues. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a real problem when you're paying three ninety nine per issue and you're right. reading those issues expecting them to be experiences in and of themselves. Right. But if you read it as the final two chapters of a six-part story, mm-hmm. there, there's a payoff to it, an, mm-hmm. an element of payoff to it that isn't there when you read them individually. Um, oh, that's good to know. But but I, I it makes I mean we it's writing for the trade has been like, you know, a condemnation of comics for at least ten years now. Oh, and in fact DC stumbled all over itself to insist that what they were not going to be doing with the new fifty two was exactly that. Yeah, and that's just it. In almost every book that I'm reading, maybe right. with the exception of action comics. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. perhaps OMAC, but OMAC is so funky. Oh, I'm not really sure you can say OMAC is written for any format. OMAC is written right. for the page. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, the, they all are. They all become so much better when you read them in collection. Or in, in, in uh, aggregation, I should say. Because I've not read the collections of any of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be well. I'll be curious to see what the reactions are to the trades. I imagine that it's going to be nothing out of the ordinary. I'll be curious to see though if, considering the the amount of saturation that the DC New Fifty Two has had, if the trades are slow to move or if they if they're actually surprisingly hefty. If there were people who are actually trade waiting who will be moving on it or how it's going to play out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's just a, a, an odd, odd thing. And also, mm-hmm. rereading the, the six issues made me buy the seventh issue this week, which, oh, I, which I'd before been like, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, uh, actually, I am. <laughs> actually, you know what it really was? It was the Shazam backup. I was curious enough about the Shazam backup that I was... You know, I, I admit, the me too. I was kind of, I kind of kicked myself for not taking the moment to pick that up and flip through it it's um it's interesting <laughs> it's it's definitely something the shazam purists are going to fucking hate 
That's what I've heard. Now, do you want to do you want to cut loose here? Should we, since we're talking about new comics that are this week, when do you want well, to tell can, us can tell I me more about it? Spoil it then. Yeah, I'm happy with that. I guess. Okay, so, so the, the twist that's going to make everyone mad is Billy Batson is a dick. <laughs> Billy Batson is a thoroughly unpleasant little kid. Really? And that's he's just way. a dick. Um, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I uh, in part because Billy Batson. So the 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 plot, as far as we know, it is this: mm-hmm. Shazam is kidnapping people to find mm-hmm. out if they are the right person to get his powers. Mm-hmm. Then he's giving them back. So the world is full of people who are like, I walk through this door and suddenly I'm in this temple. I have no idea what went on. This old guy says I wasn't the right guy and then I was back where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, doctor, is it Sylvana? Sylvana? Yes. The, Sylvana. the famous. So yeah, mm-hmm. it has noticed this. Mm-hmm. And he's tracking all these people because he is convinced that this whoever is stealing this is going to be the key to magic. Mm. He's a scientist who decided that magic is far more powerful. He has to understand magic. It cuts from that, which is like maybe four issues. Four pages, pages. sorry. Yeah. Uh, it cuts from that to Billy Batson talking to prospective uh, adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. And he is the sweetest kid. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you like to do, Billy? And he's like, I just like to clean. And sometimes I like to just look out the window and look at humanity. Humanity's great, aren't they? Aren't people just great? And the parents are like, we'd like to take you home into our family. And he's like, really? You want the you want the grown-up kids? That's great. Everyone always passes me by. And then they leave. And he just is like, I thought they'd never leave. Those fuckers. Jesus Christ. And he, he's just a dick, right? And then the best part is, it then does the Jeff Johns, like, I'm going to show you two pages about how the story is going to unfold. Mm-hmm. And the first caption is, Billy Batson is trouble. <laughs> that I just loved. <laughs> it was like, yeah, he's trouble. He's definitely going to be a problem. Um, but it, yeah, it's a really, it's a, a really nice, mellow introduction mm-hmm. to the basically like this kid is a monster, but for some reason he's going to be the right guy to get these powers. Right. But I, huh. I, I love the heat stick. I it just there's something just something about like because literally you turn the page and he goes from being the, like this overwhelmingly sweet child, right? <laughs> this monster. Right. <laughs> well, like, what do you mean? He's not like kicking a cat or like I, uh, he's stealing money or something, right? No, I'm okay. What does he say? I'm trying to. He says. Man, I wish I was already out of and out of your stupid system. And then talks about how he made a deal with the the adoptive uh, administrator. We made a deal mm-hmm. this time. You stay out of my life, and I'll stay out of yours. And then she goes, "Billy Batson, you're the most unpleasant boy I've ever had the unpleasure of knowing." Good job, Jeff Jones. Uh, <laughs> and he's like completely thrilled by that, and he's like, "Tell me something I don't know." <laughs> I don't know. I just love that. And then it's like Billy Batson is trouble, but trouble is relative. <laughs> I just—I don't know. I just—it tickled me. Um, as it, I think it works really well as a backup, mm-hmm. if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I think right. if it was like a full issue just of that, right? Eh. Mm-hmm. You know, I—I'd—I'd I'd be, I'd feel let down. It's—it's, it made the issue worthwhile for me because the rest of the issue is filler. And really? weirdly for weirdly for Jean Ha, it's not very well illustrated filler. 
Yeah, you know, I, I saw a picture from uh, on on Bleeding Cool, uh, and I was, you know, a couple of panels or two, and that art looked terrible. I really, he didn't even spell out that it was Gene Ha, and I was like, wow, they sure got some, like, you know, low rent dude to turn this stuff out, you know. Yeah, it's Gene so. Han. It's it's like there's panels where you're like, that's great. That's Gene Han. There's panels where you're like, that's terrible. What's happened to Gene Han? <laughs> what happened to Gene Han? Uh, that is know, really maybe, funny. Maybe he's, maybe he's trying something new in order to speed up his process. But yeah, it's it's just... You, you, put it this way. You can see what pages he's interested in and you can see what pages right. he isn't. He, um, yeah. And I'm not really sure I'm particularly interested in a Justice League book that's about Steve Trevor is <laughs> the other thing you know mm. like mm. that's not what I expected mm. yeah that is kind of a that is kind of a curve um, although I, I like the idea of Steve Trevor as Justice League liaison that kind of has a nice uh, it, it's it's what passes for elegance in these continuity choked times, you know. Um, it makes a lot of sense. It's a good way to reintroduce the character and play with our expectations. Knowing Jeff Johns, I will not be especially happy when like Steve Trevor like pulls off his shirt and you see you know Desad's face on his stomach and he then you know bites the head off of. Well, well, the, the cash, end of but, the end of the yeah. issue is uh, an unnamed bad guy being like Steve Trevor is the key to the Justice League, so you know he's going to be kidnapped. G- give it a week, right? You know, the very next issue he will be kidnapped, and someone will be like, "You, if you do my bidding, I will keep Edda Candy safe," and everyone will be like, mm-hmm. "No, what? Huh?" <laughs> That's it. And everyone's going to be right. And then the twist denouement is like he's going to eat Eddie Candy. Okay. There we go. You know Jeff Johns can't can't avoid a twist like that. Well, so. I, as I as I realized while reading this and then brought on uh, Newsarama today, he's writing Super Friends in the same way that he, Aquaman is the Aquaman stereotype. For the mm-hmm. second edition in a row, someone calls the Justice League the Super Friends. And I realized that that's what Darkseid's doing there. Because Darkseid mm-hmm. was the bad guy when Jeff Jones was a kid on the Super Friends TV show. Mm. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, that's why although, Cyborg is there. Because Cyborg was, was Cyborg not a member of the Super Friends? Or am I imagining that? I don't. I, by, the time, I, I, by the time it became Superpowers, was Cyborg not on that? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean. I'm I will. Set up I, right now. Yeah, start looking now. That's what I'm going to say. Because my thing is, is, and I think this is sensible. I feel like it's the same thing that 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 Jeff Johns has a pretty good sense of. To me, it's not just that it's like, oh, this is what I grew up on. I think he just kind of has an innate sense of he's got he's gotten some juice out of sort of crossing those streams before. Well, no, exactly. Yeah. He knows what worked for him as a kid. I don't even think that it's what works or doesn't work. I think, you know, Jeff Johns just knows what will get attention, you know? Like, what will make fanboys do a double take, but also make sense to people who didn't necessarily go down that road, you know? I think, in other words, he knows that everyone watched Super Friends, you know? And so I think that sort of thing, sort of like when... um, Joe Kelly threw Apache Chief in the middle of the Justice League, which I thought was, you know, the, kind of an inspired little touch there. Excuse um, me, Manitou Raven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
thank you for I was like, what the hell did he call that guy instead? Yeah. By by making Manitou Raven into, you know, stealth Apache chief. It was kind of it was I thought that was a very clever move. And Jeff Johns, I mean, really, honestly, the fact that he's writing the the book where, you know, he's not going to be called Captain Marvel, he's going to be called Shazam now, is like it seems very I fully expect mentor to pop up with his little traveling van driving Billy around the country, you know, like five issues from now, you know? It could so, happen. I fully kind of expect that it does, you know? Just the same way that I think if Jeff Johns was writing Wonder Woman, he would keep that little spin and twirl from the Linda Carter TV show. Totally don't doubt it. Alan Heinberg you know? brought that back, don't forget. Oh, that's right. It's ah, Alan Heinberg run that I loved and nobody else in the world did. Well, sorry, man. That's... No, I know, I know it's me and no one else. Whose but fault honestly, is that? I, I mean, I, oh, I, I think Alan Heinberg's quality has since been shown with his spectacular um, Young Avengers and then unspectacular Young Avengers Children Crusade. Right. See, I mean, I haven't been following it, but unfortunately, um, Alan Heinberg was one of those dudes who, with both Young Avengers and Wonder Woman, um, I I picked up, I got like five issues into a six-issue thing, and then it was like, hey, good news, just another eight months, and we'll be coming out with the Wonder Woman annual, you know, and I, I never picked it up. I'm like, I don't. I don't I've 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 wished you into the cornfield, you know? Like I really do like Heinberg stuff a lot, but the fact that I got burned twice from him, I was like uh yeah, I will not be following you again. So, I, I know you're on your Marvel retreat, but uh I'd yeah. be really curious if you can eventually try to turn a collection of Children's Crusade and what you think of it. You know, I would love to. I would love to. When I heard that he was working double time to try and resolve the uh, Scarlet Witch stuff, I was like, I really want to read this. Oh, he, um, he um, resolves it. <laughs> oh, dear. Really? Yeah. Well, let's just say this. If you read Avengers Disassembled and thought, this is terrible. I can't believe Bendis is doing this to the Scarlet Witch. I hope someone fixes it. And right. you hoped that the fix would be... Doctor Doom has kind of been mind-controlling Wanda for a long time so that she can eventually end up with amnesia so that he can marry her and become the uh, person in charge of the life power cosmic, then you'll be a happy man. (laughs) Wow. Did you... I I actually felt like my jaw unhinged and bounced (laughs) off the floor. What? Yeah, basically it's it's a... Crazy record that it's uh, Doctor Room has been fucking with the Scarlet Witch's mind uh, for <laughs> quite some time, uh, which drove her to go insane during um, House of M. So it's actually his fault. He's the one to blame. Uh, so that he can one day marry her when she's an amnesiac, so that he can take control of her powers. Because she's so awesome. Wow. Well, that is that's, a that's way... why I said it's the spectacular Young Avengers and the unspectacular Jones Crusade. Mm, okay. Jones Crusade well, is a fucking mess of a series. Ugh, jeez. I just I just assumed it was cuz I heard that it didn't end especially well, but I had no idea we were staring down the barrel of wow. Wow. That's It's really of... funny cuz like the first four issues are build. Do you know what I mean? And then you're like there's a Scarlet Witch. It's going to get awesome and crazy. And it yes. definitely gets crazy. 
awesome, maybe not, but crazy, holy shit, yes. It's, it's really, it's funny because, uh, so I didn't read that many books this week. I read mm-hmm. Justice League, I read the Voodoo Child, the, the new Vertical book, and I read oh, X yeah. Sanction, issue four. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Um, holy shit. X Sanction honestly makes me think that Jeff Loeb is either not not even on the same page, but not even in the same book as everyone else in the Marvel Universe, or they have no fucking idea what they're doing. Right. The big wow moment of X Sanction number four, which I'm totally going to spoil for you because I know A, you're not reading, and B, you don't care. Yes. Is Hope uses her Phoenix powers mm-hmm. to cure Cable. You might ask, how can the Phoenix be coming? If Hope has Phoenix powers, it's not explained. <laughs> today, on Farmspring, someone said to Tom Brevoort that very thing. They're like, how could right. Phoenix, how could Hope Phoenix out if the Phoenix is coming? Are you saying Hope isn't the Phoenix? And he's like, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> it's crazy. It actually literally contradicts. Unless there is a scene somewhere in Avengers vs. X-Men where Hope is like, wait, I just turned into the Phoenix two months ago. What do you mean right. I'm not the Phoenix? Then... Right. Then it's just weird craziness. Well, I, or they'll do some sort of lazy gotcha. Like they're like, "Who? Why did you think that Avengers uh, X Sanction takes place before Avengers versus X Men?" Gotcha. You know, I don't know. I mean, they're. <laughs> I mean, that, I honestly feel. Remember that Prelude series we published? It takes place afterwards. Mind you, I remember Prelude to Schism, which was, you you remember Prelude to Schism, right? Yes, yes. Which features them preparing for a, a massive threat that everyone else is like, we have no idea what that threat was. <laughs> you knew that, right? No, no, I didn't. So Prelude to Schism, the framing. Uh, device of Prelitiscism is something is coming towards Utopia and it's a big fuck off disastrous thing uh-huh. and they're all like here's how we got here as introductions to the main characters right okay the threat never arrives in the series and so everyone reading the series is like well that's got to be what Schism's about mm-hmm. then Schism turns out to be about something entirely different and the people sure. are at, like the fans are asking people in, on CBR and things like what's the deal mm-hmm and they're like, just because it's a prelude doesn't mean that it led directly into schism. <laughs> you know, the comic is actually called Prelude to Schism. Yeah, that would that actually throw actual things game. off. <laughs> wow, that's the worst handling ever. That's really sad. Oh, man. Yeah, so, right. So wouldn't that sort of lend credence to theory number two, that Marvel is just making shit up and not coordinating anything really you know like they're apparently coordinating some of their projects but they're not even really barely coordinating their intro pro- to the projects I, I I don't know for some reason I thought this was them getting all their ducks in a row do you know what I mean I thought the Avengers vs. X you thought Avengers X sanction was them getting their ducks no, in a row Avengers X-Men Avengers vs. X-Men was them getting oh Avengers sure 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 absolutely and so but X- that's what I'm saying but X sanction was part of that X sanction was there is a very definite endpoint for this series to set it up. Instead, it reads more like Jeff Loeb doing Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, actually, you know, it's funny. I, I did not spoil this, but uh, let me talk briefly about Wolverine uh, 303. Because Oh, please do, because that's the last issue of J- uh, Jason Aaron's run, right? Jason Aaron's run, yeah. This is one of those things that's really interesting. It had so much interesting stuff 
jammed into such a super short period of space that I'm now convinced that Aaron, that this was supposed to be six issues that Jason Aaron squashed down to three. Um, I, before there was all these weird chapter breaks and not elegantly broken chapter breaks, like chapter breaks where the titles of the chapters were, you know, poorly integrated into the art. Like they didn't even have the space for it. Um, and just super, I mean, uh, the art being like rushed is all hell anyway. And a lot of it being Billy Tan, which is, you know, problematic for me, but, um, there is, it's just, it's this super, super, super chunky comic book in which all this stuff happens and half the things are like some of the twist denouements. Actually, the twist is set up in the beginning of this issue and he's, and he has to twist it like eight pages in. So the pacing is really, really odd. And of course, I hated the art uh, throughout these last three issues pretty consistently. Um, but it had some parts that I really liked. By the end, weirdly, I really didn't think that was going to happen at all. It's kind of a bummer. Like, I don't know if it's been discussed at all, but it it is a bummer that it was a full arc that, that Jason Aaron jammed in, in. Feels to me like Jason Aaron jammed it into three, I assume, because he had to jump off Wolverine, you know, because of either Avengers versus X-Men or... His Wolverine, you know, some other overcommitment made him have to leave this book. Um, it wasn't the best grace note that that he was leaving on, but I have to say, considering everything else felt so disposable leading up to it, um, I ended up enjoying all the things that he did. All the stuff that he said, especially with Sabretooth and Mystique, who, you know, sort of are the designated bad guys who are running around doing double reversals on things. It... it it. I don't want to entirely say that it paid off because I think that uh, Wolverine's motivations are uh, incredibly one-dimensional to kind of keep things rolling along, but it was okay. What's fascinating to me is it. I told Hibbs last week, and we didn't get a chance to discuss it because you and I were busy plowing ahead with all of our discussion, but uh, I am not... I, I may be getting an issue or two of Daredevil, perhaps, that I've signed up for and or Secret Avengers because I didn't cancel them, you know, like I've been signed up for them. But I am not getting any more Marvel comics after whatever comics I'm still beholding to him from. So This is because of your boycott or because of just you're done? Yeah, just kind of a combination of the two. I, if, I was getting tired of having. I think the people, all the, all of our listeners and commenters have been actually absolutely great and patient with me. But I really got tired of sounding like a broken record. At first, I was going. I I said like just drop every book but Daredevil, and then I was like, you know what? Uh, just take me off Daredevil. And and it's interesting if. It hadn't been for, and not our crazy trolling event by you-know-who, but honestly... Who's who's back, by the way? Oh, no, is he? Where? In the um, comments for the part one of the last podcast we did. Ah, shit, I haven't seen... Why didn't didn't I get the email for that? Fuck, you know, everyone was mentioning his name too freely. I was sure he was going to pop up. Yeah, he has. Like... 
about the second or third time, I'm like, oh, guys, no. But you know what? Everyone, I thought everyone handled them great last time. We'll see if uh, see if everyone handles it good as well this time. Interestingly enough, ironically, it has nothing to do with it, with you know whose attempts to troll us. It was just I was like I was on the fence about it, and Hibbs pointed out that the Omega effect effect was coming up, and I'm like, oh right. Right. I don't want to buy Punisher and I don't want to buy Spider-Man and here's a storyline that connects all three of them. So, yeah, so I'm out. So, um, so we'll see. It's weird feeling like Wolverine 303 could be the last uh, Marvel comic book that I buy for an exceedingly long time or perhaps even ever, you know? Because it's both good and incredibly rushed and slapdash and almost a little bit what's the word it's it to me it's kind of offensive not so much in because yeah because it feels like just such slapdash product for whatever reason you know um it it says a lot to me uh, to to for me it says a lot about the quality of Jason Aaron's work that he can do something that he had to turn out so speedily and perhaps on a truncated deadline and it did not feel like hack work or alternately if that was not the scenario in which he produced this that he was able to come so close to absolute hack work and yet still have it be satisfying for me the end I don't know. I feel like that's almost the perfect Marvel Comics finish with. Yeah, exactly. No, but you know what I mean? Like, because it sums, it sort of sums up the tension you've been feeling for so long. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point uh, when you put it that way. Um, yeah, it really does. It's ah, man, it is frustrating. Um, but yeah, uh, frankly, until Marvel gets the hell out of Marvel comic books, I think you know. And I don't mean until they stop publishing Marvel comics, but I just mean like until the whatever crazy editorial bullshit thing stops, it's just it's not going to be anything that is going to be worth following for me. And again, I you know, we'll see. At some point, in theory, my lack of my, – my ethical compromise, Graham, and you're always so good at turning around and saying, <laughs> let me ask you this. Graham, let me ask you this. Now that I'm not buying – new Marvel comics, should I still continue for the purposes of us talking? Should I still continue to read new Marvel comics? I think that's totally up to you. Uh, see, no, really, my thing... Here's the thing. Right. Selfishly, I want to say yes. Mm-hmm. Because it means we will be able to talk about these things. Right. But if you're not enjoying it, it feels like some weird masochism to say I find these a particularly frustrating experience I am not getting enough enjoyment out of this to make it worth my time but I am going to keep reading this right for the purposes of talking about it on a podcast see to me that is actually the only way in which I I feel that it's ethical enough for me to continue to do so I don't know that's going to sound weird but, but what I guess my response to that is what other why else would you need a reason to do so because if you're not if you're absolved of that responsibility surely you just no longer read them are you trying to say you're looking for an excuse to continue reading them well this is my thing i don't feel like i do i don't feel like i think i would be pretty happy to not read if we weren't podcasting i would be pretty happy to not read 
Marvel Comics. I'd just be like, okay, I quit. Because I do have a very passive access to some of them via, you know, our buddy the internet, I'm kind of like, well, or I could continue to read these. But of course, to me, the idea of boycotting a company and still continuing to use its products... Yeah, you're is, not boycotting them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're just kind of robbing from them at that point. You know, the idea that part of the reason that a boycott actually has power is, is the idea that you are abs- you're abstaining for something for yourself as well as for you know the the company or the person or the government or the state or whatever it is that you are you are trying to convey your message to. You know what I mean? Um, so, so yeah, I have this thing of like, well, I'm not really going to enjoy reading Marvel comics, so I think technically it's okay to continue to read some of them on the internet so that we can discuss it. But part of me, I'm not sure if that's just a bad faith justification. Well, like, okay, part of- here's a, a, a question to vaguely answer that and vaguely turn it on its head. Right. Should we just not talk about Marvel comics on the podcast? Because is, is that not really boycotting it then? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel right. that saying, I'm boycotting them, but mm-hmm. I'm reading them, but right. I'm reading them for work. Right. Like, I, I feel the boycott thing gets really shaky. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because how do you really separate enjoyment, Jeff, from work, Jeff? Right. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like I can separate it. I, I mean, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I can do it. I, it it's, <laughs> don't count me out yet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I don't know. I, well, here's the thing. I do have this thing of like part of me is like I see your point, but I do have this idea of like if if we don't talk about Marvel comics that we're then, then, then what are we going to talk about? There's a little bit of that, yeah, because I really do have this. In in just a few months, it's going to be Avengers versus X Men and Before Watchmen, and I absolutely am not going to read. I'm not going to buy Before Watchmen in any kind of way. Um, I don't know. It'd be really interesting for us to talk about Before Watchmen anyway, since. I don't know. I always assumed you were going to read it just for the spectacle of it, or at least the Darwin Cook stuff, but. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you don't really uh, care enough about Watchmen either way. So I am probably going to do the first issues of the Aaron Cook series. That is probably going to be as much as I will agree to right now. Mm-hmm. I don't have. I genuinely don't have any interest in the characters whatsoever. So it's right. all about the execution for me. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll just have to... I don't know. I, I want to leave it open at this point uh, as I continue to, to feel things out. I definitely am not currently buying Marvel Comics, however, so there is that. Um, yeah, I don't know, because I, I do. I'm like... Because at a certain point, I do feel one of the things that we have going for us is at least we are, you know, I mean whatever it is that we're talking about nine times out of 10, we actually have experience with it. So I think that helps the caliber of the conversation to not be totally talking out of our asses all the time. Well, here's the know? thing. If neither of us were reading Avengers versus X-Men mm-hmm. when it's happening, mm-hmm. I think if we were like, I read this is a spoiler. Right. Loses its appeal very quickly. I think so too. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? And, but what's interesting as well is uh, I almost feel like that's kind of what that type of comic is built for, though. 
Agreed. Yeah, and that is the thing. It's sort of the, to use the phrase, it's a bit of an attention whore of a comic, you know, where just by us discussing it, it's about as good, even if we're not buying it, we're still contributing to it in a way, even if we, as much as if we were buying it. Yeah, so that's that's actually why I was asking if you wanted to not talk about Marvel Comics on the podcast, because I feel that talking about them on a, a public platform like this is, even though I feel really self-conscious about calling it a public platform, but it is, mm-hmm. um, almost undercuts a boycott, if that makes sense. Well, it's like, yes. I am not going to buy Marvel Comics, but I am going to talk about them in such a way that may promote other people to buy them. Right. Exactly. Well, but, but I, th- I don't know, but I have that weird thing of like, but that's only fair. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that a critic's I, I, assuming that what we're doing is is actually a form of criticism, you know. Um, in other words, a boycott is purely for my own ethics, not yours, you know. And so, therefore, the idea sure, but that as, as half of this podcast, Jeff, right? Ethics, right? But are, no, are very important. Yes, agreed, agreed. I, I guess what I'm saying, but what I'm saying though, Graham, is is in other words. Um, don't you think that if we were like, okay, so we're not going to talk about Marvel Comics because of my boycott, doesn't it, isn't it in a way sort of enforcing my boycott to, on other people? You know what I mean? In the sense of like, we're not giving you any information. Whereas like, if I'm like, I'm not reading, I'm not buying or supporting this comic book, but I have to say it was a pretty good comic book that I read. That person can then make the decision about whether or not they're going to buy it as as they would have beforehand, um, you know. And they might say, "Well, thanks, but I'm not buying Marvel comics because I boycott them," you know. Or, "Well, thanks, I I would like to read a good comic, and I don't especially care." But if I turn around and I'm kind of like, "I'm not going to talk about," uh, isn't there sort of an element of like? kind of, uh, you know, sort of cutting off my nose, not just to spite my face, but to, to, you know, then basically, like, make everyone go, be like, all like, hey, everybody, look at my nose, look at my nose, uncomfortable, right? You know, <laughs> my glasses are not staying on my face anymore, you know? Look at what used to be my nose. I don't know, I, I'm, be my nose, I'm, exactly. I'm torn, because you're right, but at the same time... You're letting yourself off way too easily. <laughs> no, you're right, but at the same time, this is the reality of this podcast. It is not a job. It's not something you paid for. It's not something anyone else requires you to do. Sure. So therefore, I think it can reflect your personal morality in a way that if you were doing this for Newsarama, it you couldn't. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I don't I think, think there's so. any outside expectation of what we do on this podcast beyond that of our listeners. There are no bosses telling us what we have or have not to do. Right. Therefore, I think it's it's okay to reflect your personal morality mm-hmm. and boycotts or not boycotts or whatever in a way that it wouldn't be if you were doing this for a living. Right. Right. Well, if I was doing this for a living, I think I would be in serious trouble. No, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, I, I, I do. I, I'm still kind of like, yeah, but I don't know. Uh, let's take it under advisement and return to this. Perhaps this will be – this is the new phase two of Jeff's prevarication. Now that Jeff is no longer uh, bopping back and forth about – flip-flopping about whether or not to read – uh, whether or not no, no, to buy Marvel comics, you're yeah, exactly. You're going to read them. Yeah, the buying's done with. Uh, for God, I can't really. I do have that weird moment of like, I have no idea how I'm going to go back, Graham. I, I can't. I don't think I'll ever go you're, back. Why would you want to? Is the thing. Well, I don't, I don't know. It's a. That's a really good question. I mean, because because, and it's a good question to ask once you've actually stopped. You know, because it's like I do have this moment of like, I don't, I, I don't know. Like all of a sudden, I, I, you know, it's I have this weird thing of like, even when I was quitting, I'm like, ah, I'll be back. Because the times back in the '90s where I stopped buying DC or Marvel it was just, it was incredibly organic. It was like I'm not especially interested in what Marvel is doing. I will go buy some Vertigo books. You know, yeah, but, but now is, that, is this not the same thing? I mean, what's to say that post Avengers versus X Men? You know, uh, this they, bring is on, they bring on the world's greatest creative team. This is different. This is different because honestly, um, I, I thought I thought the creative team on Daredevil was pretty good. I really i I was quite enjoying Uncanny X Force. I'm, you know, Marvel's actually turning out books that I'm interested in. It's just they're either between the combination of the price points the way that they are treating the readers, the way that they're treating their fellow creators, the way they've treated treated the creators in the past, and the way that they're treating the direct marketplace overall, I don't want to support it. And that is so different from in the 90s. I guess I'm not know, feeling what they're publishing. Yeah, it was yeah. completely different. I was just like, Muh, you know, like I didn't – there was no ethical objections for, for to Todd McFarlane's X-Men or having like 10 covers of Chris – Claremont and Jim Lee's X Men. I just wasn't that political about it. I just, it just wasn't for me, you know. Okay. But to but, be at a stage where I'm stopping stuff that I'm enjoying deliberately, it really has that moment of like, well, then I guess I won't really be coming back, right? I mean, what well, what you could know? bring you back? Well, that's a good question. I mean, that's it. I hadn't like, really Carol considered because no it's being with the company. It what's I don't maybe maybe I don't know. I mean. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'll have to think about it because it's it's clear they're not going to turn around and start giving royalties to Jack Kirby. You know, if they did that, that would be kind of huge for me, I suppose. But yeah, if Promuter left the company, they started treating their employees better, and they stopped. I don't know. It's tough because they're still sort of shitting on the direct market and the fans in a way that I find kind of ugsome. But, you know, but it is, I, I mean, this is the thing that's really ironic it is that, you know, if you believe, you know, that some people, the, the way that Marvel handled Jack Kirby was comics, you know, it was Marvel Comics's original sin. It's ironic that this is the last straw all the way down the line. Like in theory, at the point in the 80s, when I saw how they were treating him, I should have been like, well, you know, fuck these guys. You know, why should I want to give any money to to Revlon executives or whatever? But now I'm just sort of like, it it it's so weirdly like I don't know. I feel like I'm just deeply out of touch with with my feelings on it. I I think I'm still kind of weirdly in shock, and I'll have to 
to to piece it all together as it as as we go along with it you know i so. think i think if you stop reading them mm-hmm. i think that's when it'll become real yeah do you know what i mean i think i think if you stop buying them but keep reading them mm-hmm. there's almost an element to which you're not like you're managing to have your cake and eat it Oh yeah, absolutely. Your body, no, I am but you're still getting your fix. Do you know what I mean? I think yes. it's the point yeah, yeah, where you yeah. actually you stop reading them. I think that's when the boycott <laughs> becomes real. Right. Right. And I think I... that I think that the I also think that saying I'm boycotting them but I still can read them for the podcast is a really smart way of doing both. Right. Yeah, of of, and, of doing and so and so you do neither. Right. Right. See, that's the problem. I do want to do both. I'm not so crazy about doing neither. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, okay. Both and neither at the same time. Right. Well, the thing that does make me feel a little better is like last week. I mean, we didn't even really get to it, but all of the books that we talked about, but we talked about a ton of books, and there weren't necessarily a lot of Marvel books in there. You know, right. we had a lot of new oh, number Avengers. ones from there was a Avengers, stuff. but that was it. Well, you're right. Exactly. And you read it. I didn't because I was already not reading Avengers. So. And to be fair, I think you're completely f- – I think you made the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. See, that's the, that is the great thing about pirated comics. You can take the time and read something and be like, wow, that was a pile of crap. You know what I mean? The same way that we just used to – like you used to read, do that in a comic store. I, I would if I wasn't always talking to Hibs. Like, I would take the time to sit down and read something. And, you know, like when you were like, I don't know, are they going to kill the Falcon in Avengers Exanction number two or something? And I, you know, when I was at the store, I picked it up and I'm like, hmm, apparently nope. You know, so uh, I I don't know. I, uh, I think we've, there's always been weird wiggle room for comic book readers, uh, even before piracy. You know, mm-hmm. the classic, hey, this isn't a library. You know, you were actually able to sit there and read stuff that you were never going to buy. Um, and yet somehow it contributed to something. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's just. Th- this is me cutting off my nose to spite my face. I think if you want your boycott to mean something, you shouldn't read Marvel comics. Yes. But selfishly, I want you to read Marvel comics so we can talk about them. Right. I know. Me too. Me too. Honestly, that really is it. I honestly 100% believe that it is very much about the idea of like doing it because I'm kind of worried about like what's going to happen to the podcast and what are we going to talk about? And, you know, everyone's incredibly supportive about us hanging out and talking about Doctor Who until we get to the (laughs) Until that's all we do. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh my, what the? Jeff's still saying things about Doctor Who and he's only seen the one Doctor. Shut up. You don't know. Speaking of which, we actually had a sad moment um, with Doctor Who as well. Um, that was Edie boycotted Doctor Who uh, just starting last night, two nights ago. Wait, today's Thursday, so yeah, on Tuesday night. It was kind of interesting. We I, were watching boycotting Doctor Who. I'm not watching. I understand boycotting suggests something more serious. Oh well, in that case, not watching. No. The, <laughs> okay, that's yes. Fine. What happened was you watch, you know, the Neil Gaiman episode. Uh, and it was God bless her. Like we're watching the doctor's wife and, um, 
and Netflix cut out like 40 minutes into the episode. And I was like, ah, she's like, oh, thank God. And I looked over and I'm like, you're, not- <laughs> you're like, that's Neil Gaiman you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, woman, what? Like, I was like, you don't, you don't enjoy it? She's like, I, I wasn't enjoying this episode. I'm like, really? She's like, no. It, oh, it's, I, it's, yes. I have to tell you, I'm with Edie. I didn't really like that episode that much. Really? That's not true. I thought it was a good episode. I didn't think it was like the standout everyone thought it was. I thought it was like a reasonable Stephen Moffat episode. Yeah, exactly. Well, here's the thing. I personally think that it hit the – it was going to be as close as we were going to come to the, – the more Doctor Who went on, the more Edie was like – it was clear that it was so close to being a show that she would love and was not. Like she just – there's everything that she liked about it was everything that kind of stalled out and wasn't moving forward – so that everything else that she didn't like could take center stage. Mm-hmm. Like the first couple of, of of Moffat episodes, because they're sort of focused on Amy Pond and setting up the situation, it's very heavy on the personal dynamics. And then, of course, you've got aliens and gloobity gloobs and all the other stuff. And that was fine for her. It was okay that it was sort of shoved into the background and then sort of came to the foreground a little bit. But then as we saw more and more episodes, she's like, yeah... That's not, you know, like it, it was probably the last episode that I think she was really okay with might have been like The Lodger or something like that. And and by the end of it, even with the season finale stuff where she could remember all of it, she was like, yeah, it's just, it's not for me. Every time, every time any of the science fiction elements come into place, she just tunes out. It's just not going to work. So... So yeah, we were watching The Doctor's Wife, which, like you said, not a standout, but a good episode. And she's like, I'm aware it's a good episode. I'm enjoying the witty stuff that, that Matt Smith is saying to, uh, you know, the, the, the woman and vice versa. But he's like, but she's like, but I just, I don't care and I'm bored. Like, by the time you get to the big epic thing, I mean, that's the thing. Literally, by the nature of the way the episode is structured, it gets more and more dull as it goes on. When mm-hmm. it's supposed to get be getting more and more tense, you know? So, so it looks like if I will be continuing to watch Doctor Who, I will be watching it unmune. So, um, which which we'll see how far I actually get on that. So, um. listeners, leave comments as to whether Jeff should continue to read Marvel comments <laughs> or continue to watch Doctor Who. What's or for week? that matter, continue podcasting because really Jeff is turning out to be one hell of a. A party pooper, man. You're a hater, Seriously. Jeff. You're a hater. I am. We need to get. We need. We need new blood. Like we should totally have me turn into golden sand dust and a new Jeff to pop up. Who's all like, "Hey, pip pip, <laughs> hello, hello, hello." It's Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> Please stop. Please stop <laughs> right now. <laughs> That's the best ever. What's all this I hear about the before Watchmen? Cranky. <laughs> Oh God, I'm crying. Stop it. <laughs> oh no. Bip, bip, I, I, bip, knew I would say we're super friends, ain't we, Graham? Everything uh, yeah. was going downhill as soon as I mentioned pistachios. Damn it. It's true. It's true. It threw us all off. Our rhythm has been totally off. In, because we only have about uh It's been like ten minutes left. Yeah, to talk about and we've only talked about Wolverine and Justice League 7. So, what do you think about Dominique Laveau, Voodoo Child? I thought that was a great comic I read 
10 years ago, 5 years ago, any point during Vertigo's history, done really badly. <laughs> I really loved how you saved that for the very last loop. Oh, it was terrible, though. It was... It was. It, it was really a was. Comic. I have read some Vertigo like comics it. that have been published. Yeah. I am going to do my own version, and I'm going to overwrite the shit out of it. Yeah, it's true. They really did that... It actually reminded – it was closer to Spider-Man number one by Todd McFarlane than I think that it would be willing to admit. So Old jazz man in front, worn and brown like old leather, raised horn to sky, blew a dirge so sweet, so sad, sound like he was cutting words out the air, a tale of a great city gone bad fighting to get back to goods, and of the woman smack in the middle of it all. Great cities have laws, fixed yet mutable. In New Orleans, the first of these is the color of death. That's appalling. That's yeah. just her. And also, I didn't. I wasn't even putting the emphasis on the words that she has bolded. So, oh, oh yeah, jazz band in front, worn and brown like old leather. I mean, it's honestly like someone showed her a comic and she was like, "Oh, so I'm supposed to put random words and bold? I can do that." I actually. I actually kind of like that first caption. It all goes downhill there. But I, actually, <laughs> if that was your high point, then I tried to think of the rest of it. Well, I'm just saying. I'm saying sound like he was cutting words out the air. I like that part. The rest of it, though, I did not like When it. nobody could hear that old jazz man blow his sad sweet dirge about this great city, about this woman at its center anymore. Anybody with a lick of sense knows better, though. The story never ends, beat of the city or the woman in the middle of it all. Just like yeah. that New Orleans jazz, that Storyville jazz, Survivor's tune that keeps on playing deep into the night. Man, you have done a perfect recreation of the spoken word poetry event. That, that I have a sneaking suspicion this person cut their teeth on. That and yet, saying, it, you saying. You're click back to the end to be like, I'm now an NPR. I play. <laughs> coming up. Requiem. Actually, exactly you know. Coming up. It, it would be coming up. You're right. I, 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 do, I do have. Uh, I've got some. Uh, I like purple. I like prolix comic caption poetry like on i i do i'm like honestly uh, you could read half the panels out of andocenti's daredevil and it would read about like this so i'm uh, okay with no, that i'd almost agree but you're wrong like i i agree with you as far as i like purple uh narration as well i think it mm-hmm. no, i like Steven the hearts jeff i think that's all you that's true know. yeah exactly but mm-hmm. this is just badly done yeah, there's there's a variety of it that's badly done. I mean, it's overwritten, and then the rest of it is just it's just frantic. It's just really badly paced, and and also, uh, don't we be honest that Dennis Cowan's art has gone downhill significantly since he was doing Milestone? Milestone. <sighs> yeah, there's stuff in it, this that's just just weirdly. I don't know. It, it just like his storytelling has really fallen off, and and. There are, de- there are yeah. panels where it looks like it's drawn by different people. There is that. There is that. I kind of thought that he felt heavily compelled to clean his work up. It really seemed like heavily cleaned up Dennis Cohen stuff where he was going to like lose the dynamicism for whatever reason um, to make the work more accessible. And somehow, I mean, 
it just yeah it's 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 the worst of both worlds you know it's really dull Dennis Cohen art and I run hot and cold on his art but I do think that at its best it's got a real visceral appeal I'm not sure if I I necessarily what's that he was doing when he was doing hardware I thought his art was wonderful oh interesting interesting yeah yeah, no, I'm like, oh, the question, or ooh, that three-parter in Detective Comics, or, you know, just all when that stuff just had kind of like just a real vibrancy to it. And even later, when he came back to do that fight comic for Brian Wood for Vertigo or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what was that, Fight for Tomorrow? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Good, good, good call, man. Yeah, um... Kind of, kind of a bummer. Kind of a bummer. I was like, I bought it, and then I was like, oh, oh. It sure does. I'm like, wow, I, I really think that there's a good chance I'll be coming back for Saucer Country number two now. You know, like it's it's <laughs> it's definitely a Vertigo book that makes the other Vertigo books look much better by comparison. But doesn't it also really depress you that, I don't know, there's something about Voodoo Child that really depressed me about Vertigo? Oh, no, just actually kind of the opposite. I, Vert- Voodoo Child actually, I, I took it as a good sign about Vertigo, frankly. You know, Why? Th- because they still had enough, I don't know, money to burn that they could put out a shitty comic and fly blind. You know what I mean? Like it's, See, I didn't even take. I didn't even take it as a money to burn. I took it as this is what they think is what people want. Oh dear. Well, I, but they've got a bunch of other things too. I think I. I mean, I think what they're very much committed to, uh, and it could be. I could be wrong. Is particularly after the success of something like Sentences, they're try that they, it was an effort to develop, you know, a, a quote unquote African American book. I kind of appreciate the fact that they, as far as I can tell, they went to great lengths to make sure that it was a. A, a, like a multicultural book in a way. I mean, unfortunately, it always goes too far in the wrong direction. It's like, ah, and voodoo and New Orleans and all the subjects, which I, both of which I love dearly, but um, but then you mush it into this book and it's just like, mm, you know. Yeah, as we said, when the first line of the book is trim New Orleans, you're like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I was just like, no, damn it. So, but but I'm but in that sense, I'm really I'm glad that the book's out there. I'm glad that they are giving it a shot because to me, it's like I don't know. There's just not. Yeah, I just I guess I have to leave it at that for reasons that are all completely self apparent. I'm glad that for whatever reason they decided it was important enough to give this book a shot. I'm kind of bummed that however it got put together or what went wrong with it wasn't fixed. So what you get is a big, a big hand of of sad that probably will not be especially successful, and it'll be a long time before there's another shot at the ring. But you know, I I kind of appreciate that there was a shot at it. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as we said, I, I think this book potentially poisons this market for Vertigo for a while because I don't think it's going to be hit, and I think they are going to be like, well, you know, this right. didn't work. Our terrible vertical crime books about the urban subculture didn't work. Yes, yeah. black people don't read comics, you know? Exactly, I, I, and I, that's the I, thing that's problematic, right? Like, people don't like reading about black characters of color. You know, about characters of color protagonists in their books, as opposed to the proper lesson, which is people don't like reading bad books. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, that's a bummer, but I find the thing laudable. And who knows, what if it 
turns around. I don't know. You know, I doubt it will. Or I, if it does, I, I, I yeah, I would it, love but... to see it turn around. I can't mm-hmm. imagine it doing so because there's not mm-hmm. enough originality in this first issue mm-hmm. for me at all. I feel right. like I feel like I've read everything in this first issue before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's nothing that makes me think, ah, oh, you know, they've got some good ideas, but the execution's terrible. Or, you know, I've seen all these ideas before, but it reads great. Instead, I'm kind of like, right. oh, it's old ideas done badly. Done badly, exactly, exactly. But you know, so and the chances of that getting changed up anytime are slim. But yeah. but again, I, I still, uh, unlike you, I did not feel the depression from its very existence as much as. Um, it's it's actual execution, actually. <laughs> That's good. Um, what else did you read? I read Wonder Woman issue number seven. Which uh, did you read it? I did. It I no? dropped off Wonder Woman a couple of issues ago, uh, actually in part because I just forgot to pick it up during my return mm. post hiatus, and then realized I didn't miss it. Ah, there you go. I picked again. It's one of those like I'm buying the book for the art, um, but this is this may be the first issue that I actually liked. Um, Even though sadly. it's a controversial issue, it's the controversial uh, Wonder Woman come from line of man haters. Why does the Brian Azarello hate women issue? Yeah, I guess so. I, I guess I liked it okay. Uh, yeah, for the, for that reason, I didn't know if it was controversial or not. The whole like, hey, here's the Amazon. I mean, you know, you can kind of see him going like, oh, where are the? I thought he was going somewhere a little bit differently with it in some ways. But um, yeah, once it came out that that's where he was going, I'm like, eh. It's okay. I mean, this is the thing. Brian Azzarello doesn't like people, so I don't really. It's that classic, like, I'm not. I don't. I don't mistake his misanthropy for misogyny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So (laughs) I was like, "Uh." and I kind of liked the. What did I? I liked the whole little. It 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 was as close as I've read to sort of feeling like a done in one type issue for the most part. It I liked how Hephaestus looked as sort of a faux Hellboyish thing, and I kind of liked the little twist about stuff. But yeah, no, it was it was okay. I actually liked it as an issue. That's probably crazy of me, apparently. Um, but well, yeah, I I wouldn't say that on Twitter if you don't want to be attacked. Eh, That's you know, all I'm saying. I, <laughs> really interesting. Stay, um, stay away from the internet with your views. Of, exactly, your crazy at least views. For a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I read Batman number seven, which after issue six was so disappointing, I was sure I was I was, I was going to think that it was going to suck. But uh, once again, uh, Greg Capullo's art was kind of awesome, and I kind of liked the incredibly goofy. Like, like if you like for people who really liked Grant Morrison's Batman, but wish that it had been a little, um, a lot less "quote unquote" subtle and a little, it's a, a little more meat-headed. This is kind of a good, dumb, meat-headed Batman book to read. That is As still said, somehow the, I, the idea of Grant Morrison's Batman is too subtle for people. Kind of, yes. right? Yeah, isn't it? I know, right? And yet, if you were to read this, you'd be like, oh, boy. Because there's this whole thing where they're setting the stuff up. And at, at one point, Dick Grayson's like, if you think this is just going to be a war between bats and birds. And I was like, oh, that's really funny because there's Robin and Nightwing. Wow, that's because it really doesn't seem like there's a lot more motivation for Batman to be acting crazy than that. And of course, his his narrow survival from his you know psychic onslaught of the last two issues or whatever. I was kind of like, oh, that's sort of, uh, yeah. 
that's fun. <laughs> I really did. I was like, wow, that's just dumb enough that I might be into this now. How does that work? <laughs> that's a terrible idea. Or genius. Or genius. Well, here's the thing. One of the things I like about Scott Snyder and Batman on this, and I was very coolish about it because it seemed um, – because he has this idea that I don't necessarily buy the idea that the Court of Owls have been around forever and secretly running Gotham and, and all powerfully and just sort of putting up with Batman. And now that they know about him, they're going to fuck his shit up good. There's something about the way that Scott Snyder's like, oh, and believe me, if anyone's going to fuck up a bat, it's going to be an owl. You know, like, like here's six issues of like, see the bat? It looks awesome, right? Wrong! The owl's fucked it up. Okay, issue two. Check out this bat. It's being pretty dope, right? Man, you cannot believe how chill this bat is wrong here's an owl it's even more chill <laughs> and after like six issues of that which i was just like scott snyder come on quit you are killing me with this shit <laughs> this was finally the issue where it where it was like the ultimate like yeah you thought you were supposed to be my apprentice wrong the owl's apprentice how chill is that and i'm just kind of like the, there was the level of stupidity with that plus the weird gothic noodling of it i was like okay I well like played, this. sir. Exactly, well played. I mean, it really is. It's, uh, yeah, it, 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 it is. Um, yeah, the, the. I have to say that Scott Snyder's uh, Court of Owls storyline is the closest to an I can has cheeseburger meme that I've I can ever. I I I don't know how to describe it. The fifteenth time it happens, you're like, okay, this is awesome. It's not even stupid anymore. Or it is stupid and that's why it's awesome. I don't know. Just exactly. At some point it crosses over. You're like, I don't really even does. know what I like anymore. <laughs> I know. i I think I'm self hating myself by buying this comic. Please give me more issues. Yeah, I, I love it. Uh I really enjoyed this issue. And of course it helps that Kapulu's art uh, had, there's a couple of pages there where he just does shit that I adore. Weirdly enough, some of the scenes that I guess were the scenes that were being drawn, uh, you know, because the same scenes are happening in, in Nightwing or whatever, seemed a little completely plastic to me. But just the fact, there's actually a shot of an enormous nipple here. Like, and I don't know if that was specified in the script, but there's something about this giant, enormous albino nipple sticking out of the center of a panel that just makes me so happy. Um, and, and then later on, you've got someone like, like, I don't know. It's all good. It's all good. It's weirdly gothic. It's gothic. It's really a very gothic comic book in a way that I am enjoying um, because the melody and that's it. The, because it's a gothic, I can forgive the melodrama um, at a certain level. I've somehow converted. <laughs> I, I, I have just... Graham's like, is Alan Moore there? Can I talk to Alan Moore, please? <laughs> no, I just want you to describe things as chill again. I don't know why that made me so happy, but it really did. It was like Jeff had been taken over by 1990s, Jeff. I honestly don't know why chill as a description made me so amazingly happy, but I'm still back there. I'm back in my happy place. You're replied. back in your happy place? You, you think that like... bad is chill? <laughs> <laughs> This podcast may never get better for me than that moment. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad. A little, a little on the mortified side, but uh, also in other news, I bought Profit issue 23 and thought it was fantastic. Have no idea how they're going to do an issue 20. 
uh, four, and I bought Hunt. Wait, well, what do you mean? What do you mean you have no idea how they're going to do in issue twenty-four? Did you did you read issue twenty-three? No. Issue you did not, right? No. The ending the ending of issue twenty-three wraps up the opening arc and does it in such a way that I'm like, whoa! But where are we going to like? It had like it had an actual. It felt like an ending in a weird sort of understated sort of. What's the word? Uh, emotionally uh, understated, uh, heavy metalish kind of way, and I was like, "Huh, that kind of has a weird oomph to it," you know. But it's not um, like the final; like it doesn't kill him or anything, right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't kill him, but it, it achieves his mission in a way that I was like, "So what next?" Like, and the only way that you can go, I assume, is going to go. What next is he's going to have? Um, he's either going to completely change up his his storyline, basically. But uh, and and it's probably not give him going to give him any pause for it. But everything from the first issue of Profit that he lays out the mysterious things of what's going on and what's happening in his quest, as far as I can tell, all of that gets re- resolved. There's n- literally no more questions for the book to answer, in a way. And so part of me is like, huh, they're going to start this. completely cold next (laughs) issue yeah exactly i really don't know and he and and i have a lot of i have a lot of faith in graham i really do um to be able to do that in fact i kind of wish that we hadn't you know spent like forever you know with my my ethical gibbity jab because i read both brandon graham's uh pillow fight this week now that i was thinking of it and thanks to the 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 299 sale at dark horse digital for the dark horse presents issues um i read uh brandon graham's the voice uh from dark horse presents and i thought it would be like oh this would be a great way to talk about graham now that i've read a huge chunk of his stuff apart well quote unquote huge i've read stuff out um complete works outside of his uh king city averse and kind of talk about who who he is and what he's doing, I guess. Mm-hmm. But maybe next like week, Jeff. Maybe next yeah, week. Yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what else have you read? You did you? No, I told you. I've I've, you I've read very little new stuff. I read Voodoo Child's I read X Function, and I read Justice League. Oh, and um, that's right. About and I have those. I have been reading I've been reading old stuff as is my want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As as is yours and your magical Portland library. Now, let me ask, because this only occurred to me now. When you say that you check something out of the Portland Library, are you is that code for you, like, torrenting it on the internet? <laughs> yeah, there is no Portland Library. Didn't you know that? It's that would make a lot more sense. It would make a lot more sense than the things you're describing, Graham. I have to say, Somewhere the rest the of it doesn't the add up. library is really upset. They're like, no, we are real. We are. <laughs> we, we are. Just show up in our – oh, hold on. Wait. We don't seem to have a corporeal presence. We'll be back. Hold on. What, what are we talking about? So, yeah, this is what I currently have at library. Mm-hmm. I have um, West Coast Avengers Sins of the Past, the second oh. Steve Englehart collection. You bastard. Chaos War by Greg Pak, Fred Van Lanty, and Koi Fam. Mm. New Avengers. Uh, sorry, New X-Men Ultimate Collection. Uh, mm. Book three. The la- like last third of the Grant Morrison run. Uh, Astonishing the, X Men, the oh, Daniel X-Men. Way run. Who? Because I am Daniel fast- Way was on Astonishing X Men. Yeah, for like four issues. Um, oh. tra- and Transformers: The IDW Collection, Volume Five, hmm. which is the um, All Hail Megatron. What if Megatron beat the uh, Autobots? 
and send them off Earth storyline, which is nowhere near as good as I wanted it to be. Ah, yes. Yeah, it's it's it makes Simon Furman look subtle, which is a problem. Uh, Astonishing <laughs> X Men was was kind of astonishing. I was going to say it was kind of terrible, but that's not true. Astonishing X Men would have been fine if Daniel Wade had been on the book for a while, and it was like an arc in the middle of something. As mm-hmm. I believe his sole arc on the title, it's mm-hmm. really lacking something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. including a sense of event. And also, it has three artists on four issues. Astonishing X-Men. Isn't that amazing? I really do think that that is amazing. Isn't it astonishing? Isn't it astonishing how unastonishing Astonishing X-Men is? Yeah. I feel like there should be another Astonishing in there. I'm really... It's it's so sad. I mean, I know that you weren't necessarily a fan of the... the, um, it's coming to me, Cassidy, Cassidy yeah, <laughs> stuff. But because uh, I was like, "Who's that artist?" Ah, damn it, he used to. He's still around in comics, isn't he? No, haven't seen him in a while. He's not. He is, in- yeah, yeah. It's like I don't know. So uh, anyway, Cassidy, uh, Whedon stuff, I quite liked. You know, so and, well, and to see way, it, it go looks from like that. it looks like an amazing thing in the wake of everything that's followed. Well, yeah. I mean, even more so. I just kind of I, I'm impressed at the way that Marvel was like went from having like a, a a kind of what was going to be what they even sort of straight tried to say with a straight face once Whedon left was going to be a creator driven X Men book, and then you get four four issues by Daniel Way with three artists in it. You know, like it's unsurprisingly for Marvel it's like clearly you didn't mean what you were saying and this book stands for nothing you know well the crazy thing about it is so it's four issues it's a four issue collection mm-hmm. those issues are issue 36 issue 37 issue 39 and issue 41 wow what happened in issue 38 issue 38 and issue 40 are the start of a different run by a different writer and artist team they alternated they pop- creative teams on that book oh my god where the fuck was everybody why didn't anyone mention this on the internet when did oh, people talk it, about this, this when this came this out was this well yeah. known yeah this was the thing oh, okay so people knew about this and were actually saying like hey that's kind of shit um, so they were kind of like this is a bold new experiment because this is what happens when you let the publishers set the tone <laughs> Fuck so, I mean, me, like, instead of people being like, "What this happened to this book?" They were like, wow. oh, "I completely am. I'm signing on to Marvel's way of portraying this as well." Daniel Way is only using half the cast, so let's have the other half of the cast in a different run that's happening at the same time, alternating issues. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah, I'm. I, I wow. I am. That's that is staggering to me. I'm. I'm really knocked out that that was something. Whew, boy, that happened. <laughs> I know that happened. And that was like, that's like a that's a year ago. I mean, that's really recent. That happened. Yeah, I. Which, you know, it's, it's unsurprising to everyone how tuned out of the whole thing I am, but. Whoa, my goodness. Well, that really is the ice, the the frosting on the crap cake. Um amazing. Hmm. And uh and like you said, it seems to be lacking something which really <laughs> How surprising is that, right? So, 
Oh boy. Yeah, it, was, it was kind of disappointing. And the artists actually are all individually great. It's Jason mm-hmm. Pearson, Sarah Pacelli, and Nick. I always want to call him Nick Bertozzi. What's his name? Nick Bracho. Hmm. Interesting. Is that the guy who who's doing, doing who's, Wolverine and X-Men? Wolverine and X-Men? Yeah. Whew, man, his work is beautiful. God. I read some issue that was the. Um, is it the most recent issue of Wolverine versus X Wolverine versus X Men? Wolverine and the X Men. What's the one that's the wrap up of the? Um, they need money and the. Uh, that's that's, this, and, that's the most recent issue. Can you bring like thing? Nine. Yeah. Man, what a what a good book that was. I really. I was like, I read that. That was one that I read in the store. I'm like, man, this is really good. I wow, the art is great on this. Jason Aaron's storytelling, like I'm really invested in these characters. I really feel for the nerd, nerdy brood kid. It's good stuff. Too bad I ain't buying it. But um, <laughs> how's that feel? I'm trying to. I'm trying. I'm trying this on for size. I'm like, yeah, that felt that felt really weirdly smug. I'm really gonna have to work on this crap. It's gonna be tough. <laughs> Anyway, um, um, yeah, so good artists in, overall, but but I can see where that would just, it just sort of... Yeah, it just does not work. Yeah. They just don't play yeah. well off each other. Yeah, I just, I kind of can't imagine that. Because what, what's, what Sarah, it's not Pacelli, is it? What's, what's her yeah, last name? Sarah Pacelli, yeah. Really? Now let me ask you, who is Witchblade? What? <laughs> Who's who's the who's the who the the Witchblade secret identity? Isn't that Sarah Pacelli, the cop? Oh, I, I'm so glad you you made that make sense. Because when you first said, it, I was like, "What do you mean? Who is Witchblade? <laughs> Are you having an episode?" Um, Sarah Pizzini. Sarah, what? Pizzini. Oh, Pizzini. Okay, so the Sarah Pizzini and Sarah Pacelli. Every time someone said Sarah Pacelli, I'm like, okay, I'm f- my brain is gone. I'm sure that's Witchblade. Okay, problem solved. Almost. It's almost Witchblade. <laughs> it's almost Witchblade. I, I, I hope that people actually, anyone interviewing Sarah Pacelli, I'm sure there's a lot of other important questions, but if you run out, ask her if anyone's ever confused her with Witchblade, because I think that would be like... Or just be like, how, how can you draw with a mystical glove? Right, are you Witchblade? Let me tell you, th- does that help? I would bet. That, I would think that that would actually hurt you. Right? With that outfit, <laughs> what, what is, is going on there? Cons? Do people think you're in cosplay all the time? <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about Matt Fraction? Because you know he wrote some pretty shitty stuff about you way back when that nobody wants to really remember except people like Jeff. What, how does that make you feel? <laughs> what? what? Matt Fraction says shitty stuff about Witchblade. Yeah, don't you remember? I don't, the, don't know. Oh yeah, it was it was something when uh, I think he did that for Ninth Art or whatever, where it was like a di- basically gave an issue of Witchblade to one of his female friends, and then the 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 entire article is just the two of them discussing Witchblade. Um, it was pretty I, good. I mean, but it was yeah, that's. I totally don't remember that, but oh, irony! I wonder how his female friend feels about his Marvel Comics output now. Well, yeah, again, which is kind of that thing of like, you know, of course, you know, poor Fraction has had to put up with, I'm sure, his share of that for the various stuff that he was saying back in the Ninth Art days or... Well, I, I think he's like, just come out and say it, you know, I was young, I was full of piss and vinegar, and I didn't know how the business worked. Right, right. And now he's like, and therefore you're not allowed to say shit to me now. <laughs> yeah, but I can actually completely understand that in a way. 
Uh, I think it's very hypocritical, but I can also completely understand it. Oh, okay. Well, if you're going to split hairs that way, Graham, <laughs> I too can understand it. Because really, who wants to put up with people being annoying? No, exactly, uh, though. But really. Like, okay, imagine you are – imagine you get given a Marvel book. Yes. Complete, like, maybe that's the worst analogy ever, but you're getting given a Marvel book. Okay, you get to go, Jeff, we want you to write Marvel, uh, Machine Man. We're going to okay. relaunch a Machine Man book, and we want you to write it. Great. And you write it, mm-hmm. and then people basically do to you what you do to people on the internet. Can you not understand that you'd be like, oh, Look shit. Look at naked pictures up. of them? I'm not sure that I'm understanding you here. Like, how are they getting naked pictures of me, Graham? Is it, am I nipple slipping? Is that, is that what's happening? That's am I exactly upskirting? Is, it, yes. is, that, is that how it's happening? Yes. I have I to say, I have always wanted more, to you, The more you say these terms, the more I feel like we're doing some sort of Chris Morris sketch. <laughs> So let's say that I, I've started writing Machine Man and begun my process as a comic writer transvestite who is very fond of showing off my nipples and climbing out of SUVs with a skirt on. Um, and I would get upset at other people for basically looking at pictures of me. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, I got to admit, I'm, I'm having so a tough time connecting this up to... What I was saying as seriously as me. <laughs> No, 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 no. Okay, just, just, just to be a jerk. Uh, yeah. Now, in the interest of backing it up, I, I could see where I'm. It, maybe I would be aggrieved, but let's put it this: I, I think that I would suffer a lot of anguish. I think if I was suddenly writing Machine Man and people are like, Jeff, Jeff, how would you feel considering you? I, we have at this point over seventy-eight hundred hours of you talking about how badly Marvel's treating um, Jack Kirby, and here you are writing a Kirby creation. Sure, and. That is true. I, fraction doesn't. What's that? I think you're assuming yes. Fraction doesn't. No, 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 no. It's one of I, the I, reasons I, he doesn't want people to do to him what he did to other people is because he is already doing that to himself. Yeah, I, well, yes, but – and that's my thing is, is that there's this weird – again, it gets back to his – um. You know, anyone who tries to say shit about me, I guarantee you I've om- I'm my own worst critic and I've beaten you to the punch. And it's to me, it's like, well, don't be selfish with all that self-loathing. Spread it around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm That's kind of like, I, no, but I, I, I'm not saying that he's right or he can say that, but I can completely understand the urge to say it. Yes, I, I think that once again, once you split that hair that way, I'm like, I too can understand that. Surprisingly enough, when you're hypocritical, you don't like people calling you on it. It is annoying. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> I just I still not seeing if there's a point beyond that. I'm just I'm not ge- I'm not getting it because I'm I, like, I, yeah, that's yeah, that's what really, you're saying, right? No, that's pretty much what I'm saying. Okay, well then there we go. Okay. Well, I have to say Graham, you're absolutely right. I- <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Ground given. <laughs> So, so on that really somewhat sad note, uh, I guess we should probably jump because there will be at least the great, greatest episode we've done ever. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So I have so, to yes. tell you my funny story before we jump. 
Okay, I wait. So for, for the listeners, or yes, listeners included. No, no, for the on mic. Okay, great. Thank while, while we started, when we started this podcast, I was, as I told you, shelling pistachios. I really wasn't yes. joking. That honestly was what I was saying. I have to do it for a dinner we're making. Yes. Um, it was a pistachio that was just not willing to be shelled, and so. Right. Midway through this podcast, I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to get a pair of scissors and I'm going to cut it open. That didn't work. So I was like, I'm going to get this pair of scissors and I'm going to try and lever it open. Just a tiny right. little crack. Or uh-huh. I could cut my finger open. With- oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Midway through this podcast, I just sliced my finger open and have spent, at this point, maybe 40 minutes or so, just holding it shut. <laughs> Oh my god, Graham, why didn't you tell me? I'm Mr. Like, wow, I'm being so clever. I'm keeping Graham pretty much dumbstruck with my sense of humor. No, Graham's just trying to avoid bleeding to death, everybody. Graham was bleeding out. It's not a... Uh, it's, it's fine now. Like, it's actually stopped bleeding now. But there was, like, maybe ten minutes where I was very quiet because I was like, holy shit, I'm sucking on my finger to make sure the blood didn't go everywhere. Oh my god. Nice job snatching victory from the jaws of defeat, Graham. I now That's feel like an even shittier shithill than I did after I won my imaginary argument about Mad Fraction. Wow. I think you're definitely right, because don't forget, at that point, it is still bleeding. <laughs> you, you won that one fair and square. <laughs> exactly. I had lost I, I the just, blood, dude, but I wasn't losing blood. <laughs> So really, I just had to stop because I thought it was funny that we were both going to pieces, and I was like, I have to tell you how much more strange this episode seems <laughs> than you knew. You were there, Jeff. We didn't know everything that was going on. That's what I'm telling you. Man, thank you, M. Night Shyamalan. Okay, well, everybody, tune in next time when hopefully Graham will have called an ambulance by then, and we can talk as he's going to the hospital and not telling me. Like, what's going to happen is I'll be talking to you, and I'll just suddenly come falling asleep because I'm preparing for surgery. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, wait, what's that? What are people saying in the background? And you just hear someone being like, I'm sorry, sir, this gentleman has operation schedule. I, I love the idea that in Portland, everyone's so polite. No one's actually going to interrupt you. Like, you're going to get a local. No one's going to say anything. And I'll be talking to you, and the background will be the beep. And you're like, what did you think of the latest issue of Batman and Robin? And I'll be like, what's up, sir? <laughs> I thought it was pretty good, but uh, hold on a second. Beep, beep, beep. And then they, poof. Is that, okay, where was I? I'm like, what's going on back there? <laughs> I thought you could say I died. I'll be like the ultimate waywalk cliffhanger. Nah, that would be. Like, what did you think for a watchman? Well, Ah, drama. All right. Um, yes, everybody. So tune in next week. Uh, hopefully there will be less less drama. And, um, and we'll, we'll talk to you then. 